0: This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to a podcast of Rare Antiquities, Episode 10. On this milestone episode... And in preparation for Star Wars The Force Awakens, we will discuss and analyze the Star Wars original trilogy for today's show. So delay that trip to your local Toshi station, grab some blue milk, and strap yourselves in, because this is where the fun begins. This will be a day
1: long remembered.
0: I'm your host, Harry. You
1: just watch yourself. I have
0: the death sentence on 12 systems.
1: I am your co-host, Jeff. You're a feisty little one. But you'll soon learn some
0: respect. And for today's show, we also welcome back our Botham spies, Nathan and Andrew. Glad to see you both survived, and welcome aboard.
2: Hello, hello. Thanks for having me.
0: You've
3: got a lot of guts coming
1: here, after what you pulled. <laughs> yeah, this should be a good one. I think we've been looking forward to doing this episode for a while. You know, obviously stepping outside of what the show's normally about, but this is too big. To not talk about. And uh, we're going to talk about one Star Wars movie. We got to talk about them all. So, yes, that's uh, true. Yeah. All
0: right. So just as per normal, like we did reminisce a little bit about our memories. I mean, when we talk about the formation of our childhood memories, Star Wars is definitely a big part of it. I'm sure all of you guys are in the same boat. Jeff and I kind of talked a lot about this in our first ever podcast. So I know, Andrew, you briefly touched upon this when you were with us last time. But how about you two, if you can tell us a little bit more more about your first memories of Star Wars and the rest of the original trilogy? Again, just brief high level thoughts there.
3: I think the original trilogy are are, um, some of the earliest movies that I remember watching between uh, between Star Wars and I think Indiana Jones. I mean, those are the movies I remember as a as a small child watching, even very vague recollection of seeing them in the theaters as well. I, I don't think I recall ever seeing any other movie in the theaters other than, yeah. And I mean, it's
2: it's probably sort of shaped how I look at movies ever since. Andrew, how about yourself? Yeah, I was actually a late bloomer to, to Star Wars in the grand scheme of things, being the first time I watched the trilogy, if I remember correctly, was around about to say middle school, but uh, junior high. And I remember hearing about it a bunch from friends because I was always like a Star Trek fanatic. And then uh, my parents got me the the trilogy on VHS. Uh, thankfully, the non-modified George Lucas versions of the, the movies. And I remember it was Christmas Day. Since we hadn't watched them, I watched all three back-to-back, and from that point on, I have been thoroughly hooked and kind of regretting the fact that I didn't watch it earlier, but I just have loved everything associated with the Star Wars since. So did you actually have opportunities to watch it before then and then just by chance you watched all 3? How did that kind of work out? No, I hadn't really seen them at all. I hadn't watched them on TV. No one had really offered to watch them at their their homes. It was that was the first time and I remember sitting with my dad and my brother watching all 3 and going, "Wow, I feel like I just missed out on my childhood," but that was it was an amazing experience and uh I just can't stop talking about them.
0: Yeah. So Nathan, did you see Because Jeff mentioned before in our first podcast that he went to see that double back-to-back feature of Empire and Return. I'm assuming you'd be with him during that experience. Is that correct?
3: I don't know why you would assume that. Oh, (laughs) no, that's true. I mean, it's not like I mean to assume that would somehow assume that you know we were related to each other. But like when I think of seeing the the movies as a child, that's what I remember is the like the back-to-back feature. You know, so I mean, I would have been. I don't know, six or so. I also remember probably crying outside a movie theater because my dad would not take me to watch Star Wars. But uh, that's the other thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember crying when I, wasn't getting, so I was getting not supposed to get like a lot of toys after the fact. And every time we go to the mall, it's like my parents kept telling me I'd be causing a fuss and, you know, actually banging my head on the ground because I wouldn't get <laughs> in the mall, like in the, the toy ground. store. Yeah, like I would actually get on my knees and I'd be like banging my head on the ground, might explain a few things. But that's what they said I'd do. When it came to Star Wars toys, especially around that age, more, I guess, more around Return of the Jedi time, I really wanted a Luke Skywalker figure, like from Return of the Jedi with the green lightsaber, and they wouldn't give it to me then. But lo and behold, I got it for my birthday, uh, you know, several months later. So it all turned out okay. I I guess that they wouldn't let that go, you know, that that kind of nightmarish uh, experience for them you know, they probably remembered he wants that one. So yeah,
3: Jeff, I don't know if you remember this, but when Jeff and I were kids, our dad would take us to the mall to get haircuts, which of course, as kids, we hated. And so to sort of ease it over, he would always buy us like a Star Wars toy as sort of a reward for getting our haircuts. I don't know, Jeff, you remember that?
1: I do remember that. And as a result, like we had every ghetto figure from the fucking background of return of the Jedi and Jabba's palace. Like oh, yeah. every like, shitty yeah. toy that <laughs> like nobody all, all
3: wanted. The, all the clowns on, on the barge on the stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We oh, had all those. those are the cool
1: guys. Those are awesome. Um, oh, Harry, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like light, the, the packaging is like lightsaber victim. Number nine. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great stuff.
1: Those are still the ones that I still have
3: around. You know, I mean, I don't, I've got, I don't have any of the cool figures, but I do have that Gamoran.
0: The Gamoran guard? And and squid face, yeah. That world building is part of what makes Star Wars so great and what made it so great, what still makes it so great. But before we start getting into the movies, I just wanted to ask you just, if you guys can maybe put a little bit more verbiage to this, is what does, if you can briefly describe what Star Wars means to you? It doesn't have to be with respect to your childhood or it's a nice childhood memory. You know, I think we're all Star Wars fans here, more or less to varying degrees. But, you know, what does Star Wars represent to you as a film, as a franchise, these characters? What do you take away
2: from these movies? Andrew, you go first. Well, that's me. i was gonna wait for everyone else I'm like that's exactly what i think as wow, well like, <laughs> i, kind of have a I figured with. you'd say that
0: so that's why i went oh, to you first son of a
2: nutcracker <laughs> uh well for me i think the appreciation for star wars release really has built over the years and just re-watching the, the trilogies over the last couple of years especially as i've been getting more and more into movies i think star wars and someone recently said it best we're saying it's like star wars is its own genre it's not science fiction it's not fantasy it's Just something unique. And with Star Wars, it really is, I think, a perfect example in movies of being able to draw the audience in based upon character development. You take a look at a movie like The Empire Strikes Back, and that was a movie that I didn't appreciate as much when I was younger, but only recently, like, it's just, I always thought, and this is, we can talk about this later Return of the Jedi was the the best when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, no, that's not the case. But it's just it is an amazing way to tell a story that draws the audience in sympathetic characters. It is storytelling at its best. And you add that science fiction and that fantasy element to it. And it's it's a franchise that spans generations and a story that can be told over and over and over again and never get tired of it. So for me, I think it's just it's it's entertainment at its best. That's one way to describe it.
1: Well, very well thought out. How about uh, how about Jeff? We just jump to you. How about you? You go ahead and give us your take. Man, that's a really big question. What is it? What does it mean to me? I I mean, I almost can't put words to that. I mean, it's obviously it's uh, pretty important to me. I mean, it's more than any other piece of entertainment. I think it's it's always captured my imagination. It's a world that I you know you kind of want to be able to live in, right? I'd love to be able to live in that in that universe. It's so imaginative. Oh man, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, you watch them and you feel like it's like you feel like you're in that universe and it there's so much excitement, there's so much enjoyment and it bleeds off of the screen, you know? Like after it's over, it's, it you know, it stays with you. You know, you talked about the marketing and all the you know, 9 zillion action figures and stuff, but all of that stuff, even all that peripheral Star Wars stuff outside of the movies keeps bringing you back into it. Right. And and when it's done well, and sometimes it is done very well, it's a great compliment. So, uh, I mean, I don't think that even scratches the surface, but maybe I'll be able to answer that question better after we kind of get into the episode a little bit.
0: Sure. No, sounds good. So Nathan, just uh, again, high level thoughts. What do these movies represent to you? What did you take away anything from these movies at all?
3: Well, they certainly represent that. I've spent a lot of money over the last uh, (laughs) four years, You know, I mean, not just buying movies on on every new media that comes out, but toys, video games. You know, I've certainly read a number of the Expanded Universe books and stuff, but also... They kind of represent a benchmark for the types of of movies. And I mean, uh, yeah, I I think it's a genre onto itself. But anytime you have trilogies or big action movies and stuff like that, uh, Star Wars becomes the benchmark for how you develop story, how you develop characters and all the pieces fit together in a trilogy. uh, Yeah, that's that's like the most concise way I can put it.
0: I agree with you. I think, as a couple of you guys already mentioned, it's not exactly just a fantasy. It's not science fiction. It's somewhere in between. I put it as more like this. It's a modern fairy tale. And what George Lucas did is he created a whole new mythology here based around the simple concepts of good versus evil and a hero's journey. And that's what I take. I look at it in terms of what's the basis of a lot of people's faith. You know, they look at why religion is stuck around so much. I mean, Don't want to get into it here. There are a lot of reasons why it existed. One can argue God created it or man created it. We won't touch on that here. But those concepts have stuck around for thousands and thousands of years for humanity. And what George has done is he's created a new philosophy, a new mythology based on this. Like you don't have Greek mythology, which is so fascinating. You have this fairy tale mythology that he has created from scratch. He has a, He's drawn from many different influences and he's just mixed it so perfectly here. It was just a recipe for success, especially at a time, you know, again, a perfect time it was released to because of the state of society and what was going on in politics at the time. But, you know, I look at that. I look at it as a, it's a fairy tale, a mythology.
1: For sure. Yeah, you're right there. It's, it's a modern fairy tale. I think that's the best way to put it. Seeing it as a child at that perfect time, it has
0: such an influence on on you just like today's children or young young adults i mean they're going to get into different genres or different movies and that's going to be their star wars for them and you can understand why if it's if it's that good so but let's just get moving on let's start with star wars a new hope so why don't we start with some high level thoughts on the first star wars movie who wants to go first
3: Wow. You know, it's really hard. I don't know how anyone else feels about it, but I find it's really difficult to be objective about these movies. I mean, they're so ingrained. I've seen it so many times that it's almost kind of hard to critically judge it. But sort of from a high level, I think it's interesting how this movie is, it sort of represents a Hollywood unicorn in that it's the type of movie that everyone can enjoy. I mean, I know people who don't think like me politically or, and still find this to be interesting. Kids love it. Adults love it. Even people who are not into this type of genre are really into, they can be in Star Wars and like the movies. And I kind of find that it kind of has this thing that, that we don't have anymore more movies where it's just a very simple story. Not that it's, you know, childish or anything, but it's, it's very basic and straightforward and still works. And, Because now, if you're in this movie now, you have weird, I'm sure, like complications and foreshadowing to all these other things. And the other thing that I like about it that I think modern movies sort of miss is that you have interesting characters with agency, not just moving from... Set piece to set piece and stuff happens. I mean, they are smart characters who, I mean, sure, maybe they kind of mess up here and there, but you know, they're sort of active agents in their own destiny as they, they kind of move through the story. Right. It's just kind of interesting how you have all these different types of characters working well together, which is something that I, I wish more movies nowadays had. You do get that with, with some movies, but I, I feel you kind of miss the friendship that characters have. I guess maybe you don't get that so much in A New Hope and maybe it's later on, but but
2: you still see a lot of that come through.
0: Andrew, how about yourself?
2: One of the greatest openings to a movie of all time. I would love to be able to go back and watch Star Wars with a fresh set of eyes, with not knowing the universe or anything about it. But I just, every time I watch the beginning of A New Hope and you see the opening sequence, it hooks you right away. And not knowing much about the universe, there's so many different questions. And it just, it kickstarts uh, the trilogy pretty well. The introduction of Vader just as one of the, best villains of all time like him just oh my god like just the imagery of the opening i think 10 to 15 minutes is in itself like I, that, that really struck a chord with me not to knock it down really right off the bat it, i don't think it has aged as well necessarily like i don't get the same enjoyment from watching it as i do with like empire strikes back or return of the jedi really uh, that's interesting How so? why don't you elaborate on that The pacing is a little, I think for modern moviegoers, the pacing is not as fast as people would like it to be. I think there are certain elements. I think we've also been, for example, like the lightsaber battle between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan. Like It's just I think we've been so blessed and spoiled with so many amazing lightsaber duels since that time. And here we have like two of the greatest Jedi of all time fighting. And you're like, wow, uh, I I think I could take one of them on. But at the same time, like, like when you go back to the time frame, like this is talking 2015, like 1977, it just, it's an amazing movie. I think it, unfortunately with today's, the way that I'm going to bring up my, my father, like when my father watches documentaries now, and like, there's just all these action and it's like nonstop. I think people have to have an appreciation for movies to really get that true enjoyment from a new hope in comparison to some of the other ones that appeal more to like the action going audiences. But Overall, I'm nitpicking Uh, a new hope is it's a fantastic movie and that character development, you see that relationship that Nathan talked about between characters.
1: Right. Uh, Okay. Jeff, how about yourself? As Andrew mentioned, it's an oddly paced movie. It's not slow and it's not super fast. It's like, it kind of comes at you and then it takes foot off the gas a little bit and then it comes at you again and then it kind of backs off and it sort of does that, you know, throughout. And it, it, it's an odd way to structure a movie. And the fact that it works is really interesting. It's kind of hard to put your put your finger on why it works as well as it does. It has such a great look to it as well. I think more than the other two in the trilogy, it has the most unique visual style to it. I mean, I think it holds up very well visually. The lightsaber duel between Obi-Wan and, and Vader, obviously, you know, they don't have the fancy moves and stuff and... What are
0: you talking about? He still does a little, you know, slow motion spin, Alec Guinness.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The slow motion spin. He kind of shuffles a a little bit. and He's got that one move where he just kind of like moves his lightsaber quickly in a circle. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For some reason. uh, You know, it's a good thing it's Alec Guinness, you know, because you can buy it. You can class the place up. It's a great movie. And then there are moments in it where it's like it's perfect. The perfect exact right thing happens to blow you right away. How about you give me an example of a scene that's just perfect for you? This is definitely an easy one, but when Han comes back to save to save Luke right at the end, when he's in the Death Star trench, there like that whole sequence there. I mean, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Even you know it's coming because we've all seen it a million times, right? But the Rebels are losing the battle. You know, Luke's pretty much the only the only guy left. The tensions ratcheted way up. You know, Vader's right on him. He got Obi Wan talking in his ear. Like it's so tense at that moment. And then when you know when the Millennium Falcon swoops in, it's just so perfect. Like it caps that excitement off, and, and we all know what happens there. But it's so well done. You know, it's so perfect. You're on the edge of your seat for that whole sequence, and just when you when you can't take it anymore, and you don't know, you know, how he's going to get out of this one. You know, it's just great. That's one of the best moments in the whole in the whole trilogy for me. Yeah, for For sure. sure. I mean, that's like I said, that's an easy one. I think there are other examples in the movie, but uh, that's the one that comes to mind.
0: I agree. I mean, there's to me, Star Wars has a lot of if you want to talk about perfect scenes, I'll get into that a bit later. My high level thoughts, unless you wanted to add something else, Jeff, here just for now, I can go off off to you, man. Go for it. The simplistic style of the nature of good versus evil here we already get like right from the opening how dominant and what kind of sense of dread the empire over the rebels have how superior they are over them in terms of militaristic power you get that right off the opening shot with the star destroyer chasing the rebel cruiser that kind of level of awe and wonder and simplicity makes it great like the minute also when stormtroopers break in and vader then comes in like i remember you know listening to other people talk about it older people talk in interviews and and documentaries and a lot of people used to say even even if there was no sound the minute those stormtroopers came in they felt like those were a nazi invasion happening right like you immediately felt even though it's they've become a joke like stormtroopers because they can't shoot worth shit at least i hear they can there's just that big sense of dread as soon as they come through and the minute vader comes through it's almost like a silent picture people would just start hissing at the theater And booing at the theater. So, I mean, these are just like the simplistic strings that Lucas is, you know, using to draw the audience in. And I love that. And the fact that Vader is so dark versus the, you know, use the use of color there. All of these things, again, just the modern fairy tale, how Lucas is building the world. And then what also I love is, the world building here. So you talked about the pacing. I agree. It's very odd in how this movie is paced because the first quarter of this movie, you're following two droids. You're following C3PO and R2 D2 on Tatooine. You don't even get like, what is it, like 20, 25 minutes in is when you first get your glimpse of Luke, I believe, when there's the Jawas are selling the the guy go- the droids at the farm. But all that stuff, that world building, I loved all of that, even as a kid. But I agree, I'm not sure how well modern audiences would be able to take to it. Interesting story. I was at a cousin's house in Vancouver a long time ago, and we showed these other cousins from New York who had, were visiting for a wedding. They were about in their early teens, and they couldn't get through Star Wars because of this. Mm. But we showed other friend, like I showed another friend, an adult, and she's never seen Star Wars. She saw it maybe now when she was in her early 30s, and she was wondering, too. She was getting confused. She was saying, is this all there is about Star Wars, these two droids? Mm. But the minute Luke comes and you get Han Solo, you get Chewbacca, you get Obi-Wan, then the movie kicks really off. And then she was into it. But for me, I loved all this world building. I was following R2-D2 and 3PO. I love their banter. I love the sense of fun in this movie. And that's one thing this movie has is a lot of fun with itself. And you're talking about scenes of perfection. I mean, I can give you another example. I know when I was gripped completely in this movie, this movie sold me. And no matter what happened afterwards... I was invested is the minute when Luke went back to the Lars homestead when he realized that mm. his, his uh, uncle and aunt were in danger and you get that epic shot of the wind blowing and his his clothes are being, you know, moving in the wind and you see the smoke going and you see the homestead partially destroyed and the dead bodies and that music. And then you cut away to the Death Star and the and Vader and all that stuff. That was just perfect. I've never seen something like that in a movie since. And again, going back to that good versus evil setup. And it's just, oh, you're so with Luke at that point after that. No matter what happens, you're with Luke. The rest of the saga on his side. And that sets up the heroes, that kicks off the heroes journey so well. Another scene that you mentioned about Han coming in and saving the day in the the trench run. I'd argue the whole trench run sequence and the battle of Yavin is perfection unto itself. But for me, it wasn't when Han came and saved. It was when Luke turned off the targeting computer. Obi-Wan says, use the force. He believes he presses that button to turn it off. The force music kicks in and it swells. That's perfection. For me, that is perfection right there. It's not Han saving the day. It's Luke having faith in the force. And I think that's kind of the point of the movie. But that's just me. You know, a lot of people like Han Solo better than Luke. So I understand. But again, the sense of fun in the hero's journey here is what really
2: sums up my high level thoughts here. Uh, something I haven't seen repeated since. Well, I'm glad, Harry, you mentioned the music. That's something ever since I just finished talking, like for me, fundamentally, like an appreciation of music, having grown up with it. This movie, I don't know of any others that has a soundtrack quite as engrossing and defining as A New Hope. Like Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, both are fantastic soundtracks. Anything John Williams does really is gold. But that soundtrack, so many songs from A New Hope, so many—it's it, just—it's iconic in itself. And the music alone is what I think can engross many people into this movie because it's just the musical cues are amazing. Like, I continue to listen to the soundtrack to this day. Whenever like I need like quiet contemplation, or I'm at work, or I'm studying, like it is just—it's—it's brilliance. And I think that's another huge element that i know it gets a lot of appreciation but it is a masterpiece when it comes to the music for this movie
0: i agree i was going to ask about the score a little later when we were going to get into a little bit more into the movie but well how about perfect segue now so as a curiosity like what are your favorite themes out of this movie because these are like all motifs that williams created for all the characters right or at least in the main characters. I mean, you had you didn't have the Imperial March here for Vader. You had this other kind of musical track for, for Darth Vader when he came on screen a little bit, especially in the Death Star. But you obviously get, you know, the Force theme. You get main Star Wars theme. You get a little bit of Luke's theme in here. Actually, I, I wanted to ask you guys. I mean, initially, to me, the Force theme was Luke's theme. But then, obviously, I think since then, it's deviated into just being the Force theme. Like, What do you guys think about that?
3: Well, I think it's still Luke's theme. I mean, I know it is the main Star Wars theme itself, but because these movies are, well, I mean, they're really about his journey for the most part. So I think they, they kind of stand in hand.
1: I always thought of it as like, it's Luke's theme and it's the Force theme. It's my favorite, whatever you want to call it. It's my favorite part of the score, that theme and and, and the variations on it, because there are a lot of great variations of the theme, all of which are great and, you know, reused a million times in all the trailers. It's, I think it's the best one. It carries through like it, that helps tie all of the threads through the entire trilogy that one theme so my favorite track again
0: as i already mentioned is when luke turns off the like the battle of yavin and when luke turns off the targeting computer like when i was a kid i just believed in anything after that point like for me that was an important moment in my childhood development because uh, i believed like i could do anything as long as i had faith in doing it and i think that was an important message that lucas was trying to derive for young children I mean, again when you're creating the modern fairy tale i think that was an important thematic point he was trying to get across as well But Yeah, I mean, like, for the whole thing, I I just loved the whole score. We're talking about an Oscar-winning score, very deservedly so. It'll be interesting when we get into the other movies, we can talk about the score. Were they better? Were they worse? I'd say for the most part, I love almost every track of the score. Maybe a couple of tracks aren't the greatest and are pretty ho-hum, but for the most part, I just absolutely love the score. Williams got it right, and I think... In the 70s, they were more, they weren't orchestral scores at the time. They were more like when you're talking about the gritty crime dramas and the other scores that were happening. There weren't too many orchestral scores that were happening around the time. Godfather may be the exception. I'm not sure. I can't remember the release of The Godfather, the date, but I think most scores then were not orchestral tracks. This was a movement back towards the classical score that Lucas and Williams started here. And it was very impressive.
3: Can you imagine this movie with a disco score? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I mean there's uh, I'm I think we've probably all seen it there' like various documentaries and and Lucas really fought back against the studio, I guess wanting like more disco music I, mean, I guess we get a little bit in the cantina there I don't know maybe if it's disco or not, but oh man, can you imagine I mean that would I mean do you think this movie would even be as well remembered if that was the case?
0: No because disco's dated disco died Star Wars would have died with the disco track. Did it even really live? <laughs> it was so music. Hey, man, but it was alive.
3: <laughs> it was oh alive. It
0: was terrible, but it was alive.
3: Actually, I would like to see this movie recut with a disco score just just for kicks, just to see what would happen. <laughs> oh, man.
0: Okay, so how about we move on to the acting here? The Star Wars is known to varying degrees for its uh, great acting to lack of acting, depending on your point of view. So how about you guys let me know, just for A New Hope, who really stood out to you? Who do you think really didn't work? I also want to, you know, talk about the main lead, who really is still Mark Hamill. He gets often criticized quite a bit for his acting, a lot of drinking games and and a lot of stuff on the internet. Do poke fun at Mark Hamill. Is it deserved is it undeserved? What do you guys think? And you can talk about anybody.
1: I think that there isn't anybody in the movie that doesn't do a good job. I don't think that there's a, any performance that does not work. Even the bit players do pretty good job. With the possible exception of the guy who plays Biggs in that one deleted scene that's been re-added for the special edition where he meets up with Luke in the hangar there. It's a little awkward exchange. But other than that, I don't think it's fair to criticize Mark Hamill at all. I'm not going to say the guy's a great actor. I'm not going to say anybody in this movie is a great actor, but their performances are exactly right. I mean, the story is simple. These The characters themselves are painted in broad strokes. So, you know, it's not required for any of these guys to show a whole lot of, of nuance for their characters what's important is that they sell the broad strokes to us mark hamill luke skywalker was a, a, a whiny little teenager living on a farm uh, and that's exactly what we got and then once he was thrown into the larger world you know the, the wide eyes and wonder works perfectly and mm. part of what makes it great like and the counterpoint. You know we're we're following along with Luke because he's our our hero and the optimism and the wide eyed farm boy in this larger than life adventure. What helps it work is is the cynical Han Solo, which I believe that Harrison Ford is just kind of a grumpy cynical dude. You know on a Sunday afternoon, so that <laughs> that's nothing for him to act that way as Han Solo. But right. it, he's the perfect choice for the role. And what's great, I think, is that it's a perfect counterpoint to Luke. So they work so well together because they're counterbalancing each other. When you throw in Carrie Fisher to the mix, then you know it's kind of like adding vinegar to baking soda. I mean, the whole th- then the whole thing explodes because she's you know like she's feisty. She's you know first like she the damsel in distress. They got to rescue the princess. Well, she, no, she's not timid. She's very strong. She has lots of agency. And once the three of them are together, I mean. A, I mean, it's great to begin with, and then with the three of them together. I mean, then the whole thing just takes off. So it's not so much the acting; or the performances are great. It's that each one of them was great in the role, and the chemistry between the three of them is really what puts it over the top.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: It's, it's not fair to you can't criticize the acting. There's nothing nothing bad here. It's 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 just right. It's exactly what it needs to be. Well, I certainly agree with Jeff that it's really more the ensemble
3: that's important. But, I mean, like, individually, I find everyone, maybe the exception of Al Guinness, to be, well, hit and miss might be a little too mean. Uh, Mark Hamill, I mean, he's, I think it's serviceable. I mean, yeah, there is, uh, I hear him getting some flack for his acting in this and the whiny stuff, you know, people laugh at it. But I think overall, it's a pretty serviceable performance. Even Harrison Ford, oh, and I totally agree with Jeff that he's probably just a surly dude all the time. And there's one Line, I think when he's about to take off from, he's going to leave the rebels to their fate. And he just says this line, you know, he says, uh, may the force be with you. And I can just see Harrison Ford's like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm saying this line. And <laughs> it just, and it, it really comes through. It's like, oh, I don't really care. But, you know, it, it's not anytime that you want to criticize actors. I mean, um, part of it too is, is who is the director? We all knew who the director is here. And I I don't think George Lucas can be uh, said to necessarily be an actor's director. I don't think anyone's performance is uneven. There is maybe some weak spots, but it's all evened out in the end by, by the ensemble and just the way they everyone plays off each other. Carrie Fisher, I just have to I have to bring it up now. Sometimes she has an accent and other times yeah. she doesn't. Yes. You yes. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's just a weird and I don't know if that's a actual actor's choice or she was directed that way it's very peculiar i think it stands out to me more now i don't think i ever noticed it as a kid and but alec guinness is probably the strongest out of the group i would say yeah and that that guy who played big oh man so i don't know why they had that scene back then
0: yeah i'm not gonna lambast the actor for yeah, for like, what, a 10-second scene? Well, no, but if you actually... Like, there's other deleted scenes
3: yeah. that have not been put back in, and they're all actually... You can see why they've been
0: taken out, because it's uh, bad dialogue, and... It's funny, Acting I, is separate. <laughs> it's actually funny. I actually like those scenes, but I disagree with you. I like the acting in there, too. It's just... I see why it was cut, because it would just slow the movie down. The beginning of the movie is already... As we mentioned, oddly paced, it takes a while to get get this movie kicking off once the droids hit Tatooine. So to add more of this stuff in there, it would just be like, oh, I think you would definitely have lost the audience
3: at that point. Oh, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's also probably why we have the droids for, you know, a good solid 25 minutes because they had extra scenes with Luke early on. And then like, okay, now this has got to go. So,
0: yeah. So how about you,
2: Andrew? How about you uh, chime in on the acting here? I think it's unfair to to judge anyone on a new hope, because I've always seen like the Star Wars the original trilogy as one long movie. Like it's an evolution of the characters. And I think that's one of the reasons why, or one of the many reasons why I'm so excited about A Force Awakens, because like just when you look at the trailers and you see just how the characters have grown, but you saw that as like a common theme from New Hope to Empire Strikes Back to Return of the Jedi, and each one of them plays their role, I think, to near perfection. Like this is another example, like one thing I want to talk about before about casting i don't know of anyone that i would replace like this like they're iconic characters played by the right people like mark hamill i think we're really going to see a side of him there's certainly an appreciation over the last 10 15 years no 20 long um more so in regards to his voice acting but i think the opportunity for him to showcase like the development of luke skywalker in a force awakens that's something i know we're going to touch upon later but i think the surrounding cast and we've talked about the main four but You add Sir Alec Guinness, who's just unbelievable. Like after watching him in a new hope, like going back and watching some of his older movies, uh, you see that type of impact that uh, an actor of that caliber brings to, to the cast. But also one of my favorites is Peter Cushing. Doesn't have much time as Grand Moff Tarkin, but oh my gosh, like you just know every single time. Like this guy is like a true badass like it just any little glimpse of Moth Tarkin like when you see him in Star Wars Rebels or any of the other uh, expanded uh, expanded universe I can't really use that anymore I, I just love the characters in this and I, and I think judging it based upon A New Hope it's part of their story they're supposed to be bratty Han Solo is supposed to be that guy that just doesn't give a rat's ass about everyone And I, I just loved it like that's uh, you don't have those ensembles as we talked about uh, these days
0: no, I completely agree. Um, damn you, Andrew, for taking Peter Cushing away from me. I was going to bring him up. <laughs> so you beat me to the punch. It's Next bad. time I start first. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> no, but I agree with you. In my opinion, the two actors obviously that shine through the most are Guinness and Cushing. You know, one this wise sage old, uh, sage old mentor who's on the good side, and then you got Peter Cushing being the evil badass on the other side. They're both like almost like royalty, even though Peter Cushing I think it's Sir Alec Guinness. I'm not sure if it's Sir Peter Cushing. I don't know if he's ever been knighted, but he definitely feels like royalty here. Like he he is so good in this role. It's incredible. His performance is incredible. I think he also deserved an Oscar nomination, in my opinion, along with Alec Guinness. I still think that Alec Guinness was robbed of an Oscar, in my opinion. Definitely should have won. Do you guys agree with that? I'm sure we're all on the same board. He should have won an Oscar here.
3: I agree, but he was also incredibly rich after this. I don't feel it too, though.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to hold that against him. <laughs> I think he deserved an Oscar, but that's just me. But yeah, going to the other leads, I agree with what you guys have said. They casted these guys perfectly. It's a credit to Lucas and the casting agents. It's a credit for seeing Harrison Ford coming in and reading and realizing he's better than Richard Dreyfuss and Christopher Walken. So, <laughs> you know, it definitely, again, would have been a completely different movie if those guys were or there. Burt Reynolds. Or Burt Reynolds, uh, Burt Reynolds. who was <laughs> huge actor at the time. Yes. I don't know if he, Burt Reynolds read for this, but I mean, I, I can imagine that he would have. I'm sure everybody in Hollywood came in and read for it. I think Pacino did as well. So a lot of A-list actors yeah. came in. But like, yeah, again, a credit. They casted the actors to who these people were in their stage in their life and their careers. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that Jeff, you mentioned this. I'm sure Harrison Ford is really Harrison Bored in real life. So he played it pretty perfectly here as a grumpy, cynical guy. Mark Hamill, he's the wide-eyed farm boy, innocent, but dreaming of, you know, other adventures because he wants to get off the farm. His ambitions are more than just farming, which kicks off the hero's journey. And they casted a guy who was in that boat in his life, in that same stage. Carrie Fisher, she was Hollywood royalty, daughter of Debbie Reynolds and Tony Fisher, I think it's Tony Fisher. I'm not sure, but so she brought that. You can even see it in the audition tapes, in the delete, in the uh, behind the scenes stuff. She came through in her auditions like a like a royal princess. So they captured this all here. I also want to, and I also agree. Like Mark Hamill is unfairly criticized because he's supposed to be the whiny farm boy here, and it's perfect. He played it perfectly. Whether that's the limitation of his acting or what was actually he was supposed to do, I don't care how you classify it. It was perfect.
3: The way it was written, though. Right? Exactly, so, I mean, this is is very strange. I mean, I remember uh, when I saw these in a the theater for the special edition when they came out. every everyone in the theater laughed when he's talking about the uh, like the Tashi station
0: line. You know, it's written that way. Exactly. I never got the joke. They just had to make fun of something, so they chose that line. But I agree, it comes off as a whiny
2: brat. That's who he's supposed to be. So. Yeah, but then you compare them, and then I know we're going to be talking about the the prequels, but. Like, you see the evolution of the character. Like, one of the reasons why Hayden Christensen gets so much crap is that he's the same even in episode three. And so that's what it's a real testament to Mark Hamill is that I think he kind of knew he was going to come off like this, but this was the character that he had to portray. And by the end of the movie, and Harry, when you touch upon, like, that moment where he turns off the, uh, the targeting, you see just an immediate maturity of the character. And I, I just think it, it's unnecessary and I don't I don't believe he's deserving of, of the the criticism he gets for his role.
0: And I agree and like I was going to bring it up later in Empire, but I'll I'll quickly mention it now. Probably the casting agent George Lucas didn't know this, but Mark Hamill is a geek. So for him to be thrown in as an actor into this world, he has to sell it to us. So he wanted to believe in everything that was going in around him. And that grounded the film for everybody. You know, so you can look at Alec Guinness, Peter Cushing, amazing acting there definitely world-class acting above the other three main leads but the other three main leads did still such a good job and their chemistry together is one of the reasons why this really worked those Death Star scenes worked because they played off so well off each other so how about we move on into I wanted to give a specific shout out to the sets and the cinematography in this movie and across the saga especially the original trilogy what do you guys think do you guys have any comments here on the sets and, and the cinematography Based upon, like, and
2: I'm bringing up The Force Awakens, how they're going back to, like, actual sets. Uh, the cinematography in Star Wars, like, there are sort of just some iconic imagery from the movie, like the, the moment where Luke, you see the double sun and Tatooine, like, things like, you just don't get those types of sets and those surroundings these days when it comes to big-budget movies and their emphasis on CGI. And it really is a perfect example of how, with the right surrounding environment when it comes to the sets, and just, it's it's breathtaking when you look at it. And it, it's a breath of fresh air when you compare it to some of the, the modern day movies. And that's where like earlier when I say like modern day audiences aren't going to appreciate it as much. I think after The Force Awakens, that's where they're going to get an appreciation because there's a desire to go back to traditional sets, to not use as much CGI or use it uh, sparingly and precisely in such a way that it, it just enhances what they've done. So cinematography, I think that's another thing that, Lucas did a great job in this. Well, he wasn't the one who did it, but uh, certainly the direction gets a, a lot of accolades for the right reasons when it comes to the movie. Mm-hmm. Jeff, how about you chime in here?
1: I think there's a couple layers here. I'll talk about the the sets and the design, the look of the of the movie. If you see the original concept sketches from Ralph McQuarrie, there's so much vision there, right? A lot of what we, a lot of what Star Wars is. I know it comes from Lucas's brain, but a lot of the look of it. Is uh, from uh, Ralph McQuarrie's original drawings. Of
0: course, he cannot and, uh, be credited enough.
1: No, he can't be. So there's, so there's that layer there. And then when we actually get to the physical realization of of the sets and the costumes, it's delightfully creative because of the budget constraints. I mean, this is not a big budget movie now this is a pretty small film like they didn't have a bunch of money to throw around so they had to be very innovative in how they created the look i mean i love the sets i love how everything looks i think it's fantastic especially my favorites are the the death star sets they don't come across as cheesy sci-fi from the 70s i mean they're totally original they got that real sleek polished look to uh, the floors and i love the, the sort of chunky control panels that are everywhere and other than the syringe on the interrogation droid is yeah that's the only thing that kind of stands out as like that's off yeah
0: yeah i think the only thing that really stands off for me is that syringe and that death star graphic with the plans like the death star plans the stolen plans is just like a little shot of
1: something going into the big circle and you get these little flash so yeah that's all you came up with (laughs) but it's kind of charming though when you when you watch it now I, i actually really like it still how It kind of looks like a technical readout and it's not, you know, all fancy. Like if that if that's, you know, if A New Hope is made today, that whole thing, they got this big, fancy graphic going on and it's a technical document. It's not going to have any flash to it or anything like that. It's going to be bare bones.
0: Yeah. But when you think about it, it's just like, you know. Instead of showing that, they could have just described it in one sentence, find the opening that's two meters wide and send a torpedo down. We saw earlier when three PO was reading out all the blueprints for where the princess was located and the and the uh, tractor beam was located. You actually got blueprint readouts here. It was something yeah. completely different. It was odd. I found that quite odd. I was always hoping that they would update that for a special edition effect. I never mm. got it. I said we got mm. other crap, but we got, you know, we missed that one.
1: That's interesting. I And I never really thought about it. And I think it's I do. I think it's I think it's charming still. I it fits for me. OK, as far as the cinematography goes, uh, you know, the best cinematography you don't
3: notice, not to say that, you know, it's like, oh, you can't see it here. I I think it's very tackle, which I think is just more a sign of the times. And how cinematography and camera work just worked, and I think it's it's good. I mean, I don't find it you know mind blowing in any way, but it's I think it just works on a very basic level and doesn't kind of get in the way. But as far as the set design goes, I love the set design. And what Jeff said, I think, was uh, correct, where their budget constraints probably forced them to be a bit more creative. I know we'll eventually talk about the the prequels, but I mean, you know, with unlimited money. You know, you can just lose your mind when it comes to creating sets. And I think it actually hurts creativity when you have unlimited budget. But also, I think the sets and even the special effects have in a way kind of ruined me because I prefer late 70s early 80s, set design, special effects. There's an aesthetic quality to them that works in a way that I can't really describe, but it feels more real than what you can get today with fancy CGI.
0: I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it was John Barry who was the set design supervisor for at least Star Wars. He might have done the other two as well. But he came from doing some of the extraordinary sets on the Bond movies back then at Pinewood. So oh, really? When, yeah. So like, say for you only, I, when I I'm was going off the top of my head, uh, don't quote me, I might be wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did something, some of those Bond sets from like, you only live twice when they had, when he invaded Spectre's missile silo. You can see some of those steely design patterns there. And you do it here, whether it's the same guy, it might be the same crew, because this is always done at Pinewood, like those other Bond movies. So those classic set designed pieces, that art just got lost As technology has developed with CGI... I completely agree. I love all the sets here. I mean, I want to do a shout out to the Cantina set and to Luke's Homestead. And I guess we talked about the sand, uh, the Death Star. But I also wanted to mention the Sandcrawler sets, like the interior of the Sandcrawler, the exterior of the Sandcrawler. I'm not talking about that CGI edition, even though that's one of the CGI editions I like where you see the Sandcrawler move for about uh, five seconds. But I like the out exterior shots of some of this stuff. It's part of that world building. It made it feel alien yet tactile. And I loved that. So just props to all that. It just grounded the movie completely. And you're able to relate. As we talked about CGI, you just lose that realism, that tactile feel of everything. And yeah, it's just amazing. In my opinion, this kind of set design in the original trilogy has not been topped since.
3: Oh, I totally agree. Also, the other great thing is that it all looks different. I mean, there's a, a real difference in the look between Tatooine and all the scenes on the Death Star. A lot of dirty scenes, obviously, because they're on a sand planet, to the sheen of the, the Death Star, where I feel like you get a lot of movies like, OK, well, it's in the future and everything kind of looks the same. And or, you know, you know, what I mean, right. I mean, the vision to, to create all these different things. I mean, that's I think that's part of the brilliance of the movie as well.
0: I also love the fact this world building and set design and the Star Wars original trilogy in in the sense that we get a feel that it's a used universe. Like you look at the rebels and their ships and their vehicles and every even Luke's sand speeder and all this stuff. It's very dirty, very grimy, very used. Oh, even the look of the rebels themselves in their X-Wings. They're just a bunch of unwashed,
3: unshaved, grimy dudes. They look like actual rebels.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Where again, if you... Had this movie made today, they'd all be a bunch of pretty boys. And I think also the when you take a look at the Empire as well, there's also that difference between how the Rebels look and the uh, the Imperials look because the Imperials look clean. They look like they're brand new, and that's because they're all expendable. Mm-hmm. Like there aren't any vehicles or characters in the Empire that have really survived besides like you take a look at like Vader and, and Grand Moff Tarkin. And so I like the, the polar opposites, but. When it comes to like the portrayal of the rebels, that's why I'm also excited for the one-off that's coming out next year because I think that's also going to be able to expand upon. And I know I'm talking about non-original trilogy movies, but I think that's where the universe has really been embraced by uh, the Disney and the, the people who are in charge of Star Wars. So I'm excited to see how they're able to use modern-day technology to be able to convey the imagery that we see in, in A New Hope because I think A New Hope, in comparison to the other two, has that perfectly down.
1: Right. Yeah, I use the word tactile. When you were talking about it, I think that's the perfect way to describe it. More than the, you know, necessarily the clean, sterile environment, the empire is sort of the gritty earthiness of the of the rebellion. But every piece that we see makes it, it it's tactile. You feel like you could touch what's on screen. It, it, it's so real looking. That's really necessary when you're making a fantasy movie. It's got to be very, uh, it's got to be very tactile because once it starts to get washed out with the CG. You know you can't you can't believe it as much and you know one thing when you said about the set design and how it hasn't really been replicated since I would say and I know you're not really a fan of uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and they used a lot of digital well they used a lot of digital backdrops but the physical sets that they used in those films had the same kind of quality. Everything was very lived in. It was very tactile. You know, there were different textures and shapes that they used in the physical sets. They're also very effective. And, and but that's like one example, you know, f- 25 years, 30 years later, that gets lost in genre movies, I think. Mm-hmm. In non-genre movies, you know, there's lots of great examples of set design. Just doesn't a standout, it's the same thing as Nathan said, you know, good cinematography. The best cinematography is the stuff you don't notice. And the same thing with set design, I think, in non-genre movies, you don't notice it when it's good, and that's a good thing. But you need to notice it in, a, in genre films because otherwise the world doesn't hook up, mm-hmm. you know?
0: And I agree. I just want to also note quickly to also touch upon... Just again, something about the cinematography. You can talk about how some of the effect shots and the editing process. Lucas was actually, I want to give credit to George Lucas here because he was really unhappy with how a lot of these shots were actually coming together. So he actually stepped in and did like, you know, multiple. He added his input, kind of scrapped a lot of stuff and did some shots himself. Like even before the special editions where they added in some of the sweeping CGI shots of the Battle of Yavin like the dog fighting you still had some of that with the actual models you know X-Wing and Tie Fighter models and some of these shots are just amazing and then we already talked about the opening shot with Star Destroyer and the Imperial Cruiser and the Lars Homestead shot with where it's burning and you know a lot of these other shots that are just so iconic I just want to give props to George Lucas himself because I really feel even though he had a team helping him here and a crew I really feel, and this is from what I have read and what I have seen in interviews and special features, that he did a lot of this work himself. Like, he was really, his hand was dipped everywhere here. Oh,
3: absolutely. My understanding is he actually cut together uh, World War II footage of dogfighting for the special effects guys. Like, okay, I want
0: this. Like, he actually did it, like, frame by frame based off, as you said, like, World War II documentary dogfight footage from World
2: War II. So, completely agree. Like, that was all him. That vision was his. And then he goes out and makes the movie Red Tails. But, you know, that's a topic he for he, a, he didn't direct that. that. He didn't oh, direct man, that. Don't
0: even. He didn't direct that? I thought he directed that. I never saw, n- never saw he it. Pro- so.
2: He produced it. I he think produced it. It's not his fault. I don't like
3: that movie. I, I imagine he had his hand in the script as well.
2: I no, I, I joke, but it, no, I, I think it's perfect. Like, this is where it's difficult to see someone with genius of George Lucas go and make a movie like A New Hope and then go and make the prequel trilogies. Like that's where it's like, how had happened? What happened? Uh, especially when you see something as iconic as this movie being. There'll, there'll
1: be been. plenty of time to get into that. Yeah, buddy.
2: Let, let's more. not get side, <laughs>
0: sidetracked here. Okay, so guys, we've gone through quite a bit on A New Hope. I just wanted to ask you one thing. I, I wanted to ask something that was, you know, because obviously George Lucas's initial thoughts was to make a Flash Gordon serial type movie. Didn't get the rights, so he made Star Wars. But what he added was the concept of the Force. So I was wondering if you guys wanted to have a quick discussion on him interjecting this concept into this mythology It obviously worked. How well did it work? How important was it for these movies to have something like this where you have he's tapping into philosophy and religion here? So, Jeff, how about you start us off first here?
1: Yeah, sure. It probably doesn't work without the Force, the trilogy. I don't think you could do it. Mm -hmm. You know, the exact same story without... That element, I think it it probably falls apart. It's like the force itself, man. It penetrated the movie, it bound it together. It's the linchpin here. Right? You know, could you imagine how undercut a lot of the drama is if if that's not if that element's not there? You oh, know, of then course. There's, there's no weight or poignancy to Darth Vader, to the Jedi, you know, to the Death Star battle, like you know, where he turns off the targeting computer. Because I do agree that that's one of the finest moments in the film. None of that stuff really works if the force isn't present here so you know good on george to to find that extra element that elevates this above you know what would have been a cheap flash gordon ripoff this is how it's done i mean not just the force itself but what it, it allowed him to do because without the force then there like there's no jedi knights like that's not a thing right there's no dark side the evil isn't as evil and the good isn't as good so it makes the it makes that universe so much larger with this edition
3: yes I totally agree I mean we probably never have even seen Star Wars if the element of the force was not added because yeah otherwise it is well I don't even know if I'd even call it a cheap knockoff of Flash Gordon it would just be boring otherwise and because these movies are about good versus evil that would almost not even matter if you didn't have the spiritual essence of the force and I think the other thing that it adds I I guess maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more but I mean it also sort of adds this uh, religious quality that is very i mean i'm not a religious scholar but i mean i my understanding is that some of these concepts kind of come from buddhist teachings also like nature worship as well which i want to talk about a little bit later about good uh, dark side of the force
0: mm-hmm.
3: and yeah like i said i don't i don't even think we could have
2: bothered even watch these movies and they they would only be star wars if the force was not added as an element i think it's really the essence of not only the movies, but of life of like being a part of something much larger than yourself and having the faith to let go and let things play out that the way they're supposed to, but also realizing that you do have an impact. So like so many iconic moments throughout the the movie, like one of which you guys talked about is like Luke trusting in the force in order to to hit the target. But also it was Obi-Wan's self-sacrifice and like still being a part of the force to help guide Luke through his journey and allowing him to give them time to escape the Death Star. like There are just so many elements, and I love the mysterious aspect of the Force. It's not really touched upon throughout the entire original trilogy. Like, they don't bother to explain the Force because it doesn't really need to be explained. Mm-hmm. It's just something that you have to have faith in. And I think that, of course, is like religious themes that, that we see. And it's playing out today. It plays out for eternity when it comes to humanity. But I, I think really, like as the guys mentioned, like it, without The Force, it would have been just another sci-fi movie.
0: Yeah, I agree with all of you guys. It needs to be here. Or otherwise, I think the movie still would have worked with something different and unique. It wouldn't have lasted this long without the concept of The Force. Because the concept of faith and anyone who can believe in it, it's mysterious But anyone who can believe and train and believe in the good side, at least from Luke's perspective, because that's our perspective, we can do anything that's possible. And that's a hook for any age group. It doesn't matter. You can look, it's targeted to boys, targeted to girls, targeted to young people, targeted to old people. And that's what sets the tone for a fairy tale. And that's why it is the modern fairy tale. And yes, Nathan, you're right. Like he tapped into Buddhism here. He tapped into the dualism of Chinese yin and yang, like the light side versus the dark side. He t- you know, there's other concepts here. I think one of them was Mankeanism. I'm not sure about the pronunciation, but that struggle between the light and the dark, and the dark is always swallowing the light, which is what the Sith is trying to do. So I think he's tapped into a lot of these different Eastern philosophies, Eastern Western philosophies, kind of set the stage here for the modern fairy tale. And it worked very, very well. It was one of the strengths of the movies for sure. So just before we get to now final thoughts, is there anything else that someone wanted to point out, like a highlight of the story, something else that worked? An interesting concept here is this kind of really is works as a standalone film, even though Darth Vader survives And that concept of Luke trying to go after Darth Vader or avenge his father from this story point's perspective is still out there. But what do you guys think about this movie just as a standalone film? Is it a perfect standalone film or did it still need
2: it to get resolved? Andrew, how about we start with you this time? I don't think it's a perfect standalone film. It could be, but I still think there there are questions that are left unanswered that really you need the rest of the trilogy to play out like vader escaping like how often does like the villain actually escape that duel that you know is coming between luke and vader like having it just end with obi-wan like you know there's an element of I don't want to necessarily say revenge but you know that that character arc really has to come to a conclusion so while it could and i think if it was a standalone it, it certainly wouldn't have been as successful. I think it definitely needs the other two movies to make it a complete film.
3: I don't know. I think I'm a little more forgiving as far as saying it can stand on its own. I mean, there is, yeah, the dangling thread of Vader at the end, but
2: I think it stands more on its own than the other two. Yeah, but I think I want to give the credit where credit is due when it comes to this movie. And like, The reason I say it's not standalone is because you want so much more is that like you wouldn't be satisfied oh, coming out of, like like oh my god oh, like i need to see more of this movie um, oh sure i, granted. Like I, was I mean, triped. there's any number of movies i can think of that
3: don't have sequels that oh i really wish this had a sequel but no i mean like just from a purely objective standpoint i think i think it it works on its own well enough right i mean yeah of course i mean it uh, obviously if i just seen this movie like yes i need i need more give me more George Lucas I need more of this
1: as far as like like a, as a production it stands on its own I think absolutely this stands on its own I obviously you want more because it's so good but it's not like it's incomplete it's a complete story it's a complete movie it is the only one of the entire saga that you could take out and watch by itself you know Agreed. like you, you don't just sit down and watch return of the jedi you know like if I want to watch return of the jedi I watch all 3 so it absolutely stands on its own. Is it a perfect movie? No, but it's pretty goddamn close mm-hmm. so what are what are its flaws? What are its flaws? I think that you know the the lightsaber duel is doesn't have enough weight to it. It feels like it's going to have all the weight to it and the ending. how it resolves itself works really well, but just the the battle itself isn't isn't quite dramatic enough. The dialogue during the fight's great, but there's no moves and that wasn't how it was designed. They didn't really kind of know what they were doing. So I can forgive the uh it's more of a production challenge than than anything else. That doesn't work here. Other things that don't work again, yeah, the bigs didn't work for me and that, that one scene that they added back in the special edition. I don't know if we're that's that's the I think of the special edition as a new hope now. I mean that's you can't you can't really Go and see it how it originally was anymore, unless you have an old VHS tape. I don't think so, and that's fine with me. I mean, the, I think that a special edition is fine. So we'll, I'll talk about it as if that's the one. You know, so the the scene with Biggs doesn't work; it's weird, and that's honestly, that's that's probably that's probably it. That's well, that so- it. sounds pretty perfect to me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> well, it's <that's> pretty, <laughs> from your perspective. It, you know, it's pretty damn close. It, it is. It is very, very close to to being perfect. But yeah, it, it's about as close as uh, to perfect as. Any movie I've seen, that's for sure. Uh, as far as flaws,
3: yeah, I mean that lightsaber duel was not nearly as epic as it as it should be. You know, there's be a lot of performance here and there that's you know kind of weird. It doesn't. I don't think necessarily takes you out completely, but I know for me, like I've seen the movies so many times, I mean, I just can notice there are little things about little things that will bug me. The one thing that that always still, I mean, I know everyone gushes over Tarkin, but. I always just thought that the character was weird because I guess maybe it's more uh, in hindsight knowing who Vader is and his role uh, within the Empire. But then you've got uh, this moth who seems to be kind of in charge and Vader is not in charge. So that's kind of stands out to me as being a bit weird. Maybe that's more in hindsight of the mythology, because I know the, the entire mythology of all these characters. So Yeah, I uh, think
0: that wasn't really kind of, you know, thought about too, too much before. I think Vader was more of just like a henchman in the initial concept and filming of this movie, and then his role right. got expanded as Lucas started to, you know, develop further stories a bit more, because he didn't know there was going to be more after this right because of the movie bomb oh, right, that would yeah. that would have been it so that's why he created this character and he thought you know just vader was just going to be just a henchman that's my belief at least i can kind of forgive this aspect even knowing the whole saga as it stands now because it looks like i think the emperor probably would have had vader be in charge and do so many other things instead of just overseeing the death star which was tarkin's baby mm
3: Oh, yeah. Well, there's so many in well, I, the entire trilogy where you can just kind of justify it after the fact if it doesn't make any sense. But as I said, when, I, when I just want to consider, you know, just New Hope on its own, that, that's the one thing that stands out for me. But it's not it's not like a deal breaker. I still think it's a great performance by Peter Cushing,
0: regardless. Yeah, Yeah, for me, in terms of a standalone film, I completely agree with you, Jeff. Out of the whole saga, this is the one. If I just want to have a feel-good time without having to watch a lot of movies... This is the one I want to pop in the most because I can watch it and not have to worry about watching something else again because the ending of this movie feels almost complete with the exception of, yes, Vader escaping. But to me, this whole movie is essentially perfect. Are there any flaws? One could argue the pacing in the first bit with the droids went on could have been cut a little shorter. But aside from that, I think everything works here. The acting works, the story works, the filmmaking here is top notch. So we can keep moving on further. We don't get caught up in just talking about this movie. Final thoughts, recommendation, Star Wars A New Hope. Jeff, please start first
1: well recommendation i mean is that even a is that even a question at this point (laughs) i mean certainly one of the greatest movies of all time there's so much so much here so much going on here that's great Uh, one thing i didn't get to mention uh, not to stretch this out any longer but how the fuck is when we were talking about the score we didn't talk about the coverage of the score over the movie almost every single second of this film is scored there's music in the background almost in every single moment here and i uh I love that about it. It's, it's like an really, opera. Yeah, yeah, it's like an opera, yeah. I, I can't recommend a good conscience to our listeners to watch this turd. This is just a <laughs> cinematic <laughs> flop. Turn it off. My final thought is I really want that jacket that Luke was wearing at the
3: ceremony, that yellow oh, yeah. racer jacket. It's so 70s. I need that jacket. As far as the recommendation, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's pretty rare to come across people who have not seen these movies. It does happen. I actually have watched it with someone who had never seen it before. But I always recommend it to, to people to, to watch and watch again. Someone says, I haven't seen Star Wars for a while. I'm like, stop right now. Go home and watch it. So, yeah huge recommendation from me
2: yeah how can you not recommend this movie like yeah there are little things that we can nitpick and i tend to nitpick more than i give praise to, to when it comes to movies but no I, I absolutely how can you not when anyone who loves movies or anyone who loves fantasy or good storytelling or fairy tales like i don't know who wouldn't like this movie that doesn't have an appreciation for just good storytelling and it's engrossing and it's it captures the audience the casting it's yeah absolutely no brainer Yeah,
0: for me, 100%. To me, this is almost perfect. If not perfect, we're talking about the benchmark of what a lot of, I'd say, genre movies should strive to be, especially when you're kicking off a franchise. Most movies get compared to Star Wars. This movie is, we haven't even talked about its influence on everybody. I mean, so many young people who saw this movie in the 70s went on to want to become filmmakers. This was the movie that wanted them to become filmmakers to begin with, because it has, has, and has still such an influence in pop culture. It's the highest of high recommendations. If there is a rare antiquity out there, it would be this. What else can I say? It is the movie and the franchise for me, even though I like a lot of other things. I always come back to this if I'm in a real lousy mood. This is the movie I pop in to really uplift my spirits, because after watching this, I believe in anything. So amazing movie, nothing more I can say about it. So let's move on to the Empire Strikes Back. Let's start with some high level thoughts because this is a sequel to the biggest movie of all time back then. Nathan, how about we start with you on this one? Empire Strikes Back, first thoughts.
3: Oh, uh, well this is probably my favorite movie of all time, more so than A New Hope. I think at one time I probably could have recited the entire like all of the dialogue in this movie from memory. Even though like, New Hope works better as a movie, just as a standalone, I could easily just watch this movie on its own standalone. It's a movie that I think it's also aged much better than New Hope. Again, so that's a pretty high benchmark. Up until, I guess, fairly recently, you don't get a lot of sequels that are as good, if not better, than the first movie. Going through the 80s and 90s, I, I'll give anyone a dollar who can just name one sequel that's better off the top of their head right now. Rock Terminator 2. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. No, I Aliens. <laughs> you, you, owe some, you owe some drinks here, man. You what mean. Okay, but they're not... Are they... Okay, guys, they're not as good as this movie is to, to exactly. Star Wars. So, But yeah, I think this is, again, a, a movie
3: that probably... So it went in a different direction than the first one, which is probably something that was not really expected. Because I, even though I think a New Hope was still considered somewhat of a fluke when it came out, and actually when uh, Empire Strikes Back came out, my understanding is that critically it was not as well received. I mean, I think history has been very kind, and a lot of people have reevaluated its place in the trilogy. Yeah, high level,
2: this is my favorite movie of all time. This is a near perfect movie, as Nathan mentioned. Like certainly, a New Hope. Stands alone a lot better than Empire, but the pacing, the action, and the storytelling, the everything about this movie. And this was one that I didn't appreciate when I first watched the trilogy and for a number of years afterwards, but now recently just looking at it from a critical perspective in regards to like how movies should really be made. And I just, I can't say enough good things about, about Empire and like iconic scenes throughout, just the dialogue, the interplay. Like, I'm not sure how much this stuff, like, one of the the scenes that always gets talked about is when Han is being frozen in carbonite and Leia says, I love you. And the perfect character moment of just Han replying, like, I know there's nothing. I, I just will gush about empire strikes back. And that's why I was so excited about this podcast specifically for empire because the movie is is near perfection.
1: I love the empire strikes back. This is such a good movie. Oh man. What I think I love about it. It's hard to put my finger on it exactly. Cause there's so many great elements and everything comes together so well. But it takes a left turn after A New Hope. It's a very different type of movie. You know, the success of the franchise on an ongoing basis is probably because this wasn't just a sequel. It wasn't just a, a rehash of sort of the same thing or putting our characters just in a new adventure. Everything's so different here, you know. Love the next step in Luke's journey. Just as a character, he's matured here. He's still the same old Luke, but he's more mature. He's he's taking his, you know, his first steps sort of down the path. That's part of the... That's the highlight, I think, for me, is uh, we, we see him develop here. It's great. I mean, not much bad could be said about this movie, if anything. No, and I agree. Even though I said Star Wars is as perfect as you can get it,
0: the same can be applied to here. This is a near-perfect, if not perfect, movie. In terms of a sequel, in my opinion godfather 2 can you know go fuck itself because this is the best sequel of all time in my opinion because it built on what came before and it was as jeff said it's a completely left turn it's a new completely new take on what came before it wasn't a rehash I felt that The Godfather 2, even though I don't want to get into too much, even though it expanded on the story and the development, it had similar beats, even though you were seeing the two different stories, which I liked between Pacino and the Marlon Brando character. I forget his name.
1: Don Corleone. Come on. Yeah. Is it Don? I thought, oh, yeah. But what's his real name? Well, I don't know. You didn't even know it was Don Corleone. I mean, come on. No, no,
0: well, I know it was Corleone, but I forgot the first name. So it was like, okay, does he, so... Does he
1: have a first name? They just call him Don, don't they, the whole time? No, I
0: think it's like Vito. Is it Vito? I'm not sure. I
1: think, they, oh, so that, I, I think that's it. Yeah, Vito could know. be. Anyways. The M- first one's still better, so first,
0: I, Yeah, I think the first one's still better. But either, I loved Godfather 2, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying this is the best sequel that's ever been made. And I agree with you, Jeff, It because they completely did something knew and they took a left turn they didn't just give him a new adventure even though it was less fun but I like the fact that it was less fun and more dark because it gave a chance for the characters to really develop it wasn't just Luke's journey here it was Han and Leia's journey as well and their involvement as a romantic couple and and the, the struggles that they're going through and I love how the bad guys here this kind of even though it's still a b-movie serial it kind of left that a little bit And it became something a bit more serious. And I love that because the stakes are raised here. It's a dark movie. And that cliffhanger ending is just amazing. And that's a throwback to, I guess, movies that George Lucas used to watch as a kid on those weekend serials where it would start and then stop and say, and tune in next week for the next one, the next chapter. But this did something similar. And I love that. That's an homage to what he loved growing up. So those are my first level thoughts here. So, so gents, how about we get into quickly here, the story and the acting. Just tell me what you guys really enjoyed, who you enjoyed here in terms of the acting, what really made this movie
1: for you. So Jeff, how about you start us off first? From a performance standpoint, I actually really love James Earl Jones here. And, uh, I mean, David Prowse, obviously, as well as Darth Vader. But we get to see Vader more. I mean, obviously, anger is his primary emotion. But I love how menacing he comes across because he's so calm all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's fucking scary every time the guy talks. Everybody's trembling on screen. he just kill you dead because you came out of hyperspace too close to the system. You're dead. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. You're promoted. And it's like, when you get promoted on that ship, it's like, (laughs) the guy's got to like loosen his collar. Like, fuck.
0: There's a great robot chicken sketch where the Imperials start, actually start wearing disguises. So they don't, he doesn't know which (laughs) one, which one got promoted. (laughs)
1: Yeah. They start wearing fake beards. It's like it's so great. I love those robot chicken Star Wars. <laughs> but I love at the end when uh, when the Millennium Falcon escapes at the end and Admiral about to die sees it off and you see the look in his eyes and he's like, "Fuck!" <laughs> Vader just kind of like turns and walks away. Man, I mean that dude's on borrowed time and and he knows it. I love that. But I love how uh, how calm he is there. Great performance. And I think we get an elevated. I think we get elevated performances out of everybody else as well. Carrie Fisher has more to do here. Get a little bit more insight. I really appreciated that. It's more the the chemistry that uh, she has with Harrison Ford that that sells the love story. And Mark Hamill again, like you know, he's still Luke, but he's more now. He did a really good job.
3: Okay, Nathan. Yeah, where do you even start. The story, it's kind of neat because I think it's its actually a very deft hand that you can craft a couple of these stories all happening simultaneously, and it's all, all edited together very well. Acting-wise, I think everyone's bringing their A-game. I think you get a lot of Mark Hamill this time around. The, the chemistry between Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford is fantastic, and I want to put a pin on that one for when we talk about Attack of the Clones, because I got a lot to say about that. <laughs> and, but also, the um, yeah the performance by James Earl Jones. Yeah, I guess David Prowse, he probably gets kind of some short riff there because, you know, he's, people never really think of him, but I mean, it, he's a large guy, but like, he still has to do the physical performance. But Jeff, you're right, where he is a much more menacing character here. That's probably why they do a lot of tight shots of all the, all the Imperial officers' faces, because he did a wide shot. I'm sure, like, everyone's wetting their pants half the time like oh (laughs) man here he comes you you probably just on those ships you just look at him sideways and oh yeah you've done and also uh the performance by yoda i mean frank oz and a great voice and then the whole team that makes that happen i mean it's hilarious to think that you have like a major motion picture and a major character is a moment. And it D- works.
0: Did you guys know that they actually tried to get a monkey with a mask to work as Yoda? Yes. Yeah, I do remember hearing about this, like
3: having a monkey do that. Just <laughs> that's what they ended up doing for the the Galactic TV show. Yeah. A monkey in a weird dog suit. What? I you could, yeah, I don't know if you – not in the reboot, but I mean in the original series, they had – one of the characters was a kid and uh, – welcome everyone to the Battlestar Galactica podcast now. But yeah, like they had like, – the, one of the main characters was a kid and the kid had this alien who – and it was a – it was like a, like a chimpanzee in a suit. It was bizarre. I think now, like when you have CGI Yoda, it doesn't work. But if you wanted to go real life, I don't think you would. You probably would not get a puppet ever. You'd get uh, Vern Troyer at best, you know. But I have to say kudos
2: to Frank Oz's team there that that put that together. Mm -hmm. So, Andrew, how about yourself? Well, Story, I think Empire is a good example of a a perfect example of where you can have like an A and B storyline and both you're emotionally invested in. We gave an example like The Simpsons as like a, a TV show where, where you have like an A and B storyline. The B one you don't really care too much about. With this one, you care just as much about each of the different groups that are being portrayed in this movie, and just the story itself. Like, yeah, it's got a different tone from A New Hope, but it is the evolution of these characters. It's the evolution of the story where just because things are all dandy and rosy doesn't mean they're always going to be that way. Like they still have to fight this fight, and the Empire's taking it up a notch. Like this is a small group of individuals who's taken out their biggest military installation and they're not going to take any chances with these guys anymore and so the stakes have been upped and i i love that progression of the story saying like okay cutesy time's over the empire is going to seriously kick some ass in this movie Mm -hmm. and the addition of the characters as well that supplement the the four that we have. I'm glad Nathan brought up Yoda because I know, Harry, I know you don't care too much for Yoda because I don't think I've ever really heard you quote him or impersonate him.
1: Yeah, uh, never. Harry never does that. I fucking <laughs> he hates Yoda, man. That, I, know. I know, like I've heard
2: comments such as like Jar Jar would have been better character in this movie <laughs> than Yoda. But I think like Yoda's inclusion and just his the way that they represent him as being just when you first meet Yoda Uh, This non intimidating creature who ends up being the most powerful force user nearly of all time. But then you also take in Lando. I think the additions that they had to the cast perfectly are able to bring out sides of characters, of the characters that hadn't been brought out through the the story itself. And so Lando being another scoundrel who is torn. Like, really, I know Lando gets a lot of crap for selling out Han and Leia and Chewbacca, but. At the same time, that's like he was only doing what he had to do in order to protect his people. Those (laughs) struggles. That's so um, funny,
0: Andrew, how you mentioned that, because I remember that. Which one is it? I think it's Chasing Amy. I think it's Chasing Amy, the Kevin Smith movie, where this black guy starts bitching about like you get Lando, who's a black guy, betrays the white guys and makes him out (laughs) to be a bad guy. And then to top it all off in the next movie, the baddest motherfucker on the planet, on the galaxy, who's black. Sees to be black. He take off his helmet. He's a white guy.
3: <laughs> he calls, I he know calls Calrissian, uh, an uncle Tom. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a harsh criticism. You know, he brought up uh, robot chicken. Billy D. Williams has been on, on robot chicken a couple of times. And, and because I get bored sometimes I watched a robot chicken commentary on one of the discs and Billy D. Williams goes into like a huge tirade of how he's like over the years had to defend Lando Calrissian two people just on the street really still to oh, this yeah. day well i don't know about to this day because i i mean does he even leave his house anymore i wonder but uh <laughs> he's well, it's just cooped up a wall of cult 45 there most likely but yeah like there's on the robot chicken commentary he talks about and in fact i think they actually do a robot chicken scene of billy williams just getting groceries and then a bunch of people just getting on a case in the grocery lot, And he's got defended. He's like, hey, look, he's between a rock and a hard place, you know, give the guy a break.
0: No, no, for sure. I completely agree. Andrew, do you just wanted to chime in just a little bit more before I get, get into it myself?
2: yeah I, I just like han for forgave like i just watched return of the jedi before we did this podcast and like han seems to be pretty okay with the fact that lando gave him up so like really if han can forgive him why can't everyone else but the one character of course too that is an addition that isn't really given as much explanation but just has such a powerful impact in the star wars universe is Boba that of course not by name but just the inclusion of characters and it's just the evolution of Vader as just getting even more of a badass, like doing whatever it takes in order to capture these guys, because they really made him look bad in the Emperor's eyes and he wants to make up for that. It just, it's across the board. I said it was a perfect movie and I, I stand by that.
0: agree the world building here is still continued and that's another aspect that I do love like you get different planets you get different locations it's not just a repeat here and you talked about like Boba Fett well I mean that's one bounty hunter but I love that shot when he's trying to hire all the bounty hunters and you get all these different aliens that are there it's just the world building continues here and I just love that and that's one of the strengths of this franchise in terms of this movie yes the story the stakes now are so much more It's so Lucas, knowing the success of the original movie, was able to now say, I can kind of fulfill my vision, whatever, you know, through, know, cliff notes he had for himself, even though things have changed and this history is a bit skewed in terms of how much he laid out and when. But he knew that this was a second act of an operatic piece, a beginning, a middle and an end. So this middle was going to be darker and the stakes have to be raised. And I love that. And that's great. You know, movies now start to copy that formula if there are trilogies or there are you know franchises and stuff like that but it was done here so well and i love that in terms of the acting and the characters yeah i love the addition of Lando. andrew i'm surprised how can nobody love yoda i love yoda man come on (laughs) what is this yoda's awesome i love the fact that when he gets there he tricks luke because he wants to see what kind of guy luke is right he's testing luke And I love that. And I try and pretend you're watching this for the first time. And will you know that this guy is Yoda or not? Maybe, maybe not. But it was so wonderfully filmed. And I love that whole scene. And I love the myth building here. Now you're starting to see the Jedi getting trained. You're getting more of an explanation to what the Force is. And I loved all these trials and tribulations that Luke had to go through with his know the cave remember
3: your failure in the cave
0: you know so it's like i love all that stuff the question i have for you holy
3: shit harry that is a great impression do you have like a (laughs) like a
2: a synthesizer honestly like that that was just me (laughs) that's That's the first time i've ever heard harry do a yoda
0: (laughs) (laughs) but i I actually have a question for you guys yoda himself now because he was a, a puppet so well done i believe it i know you guys believe it do you think modern audiences would be this would sell to modern audiences today that he's a Muppet, not a CGI character? What do you guys think?
1: I'll go first here. I mean, first of all, I I can't believe that I believe it. You know, I can't believe that it works. I am still shocked to this day. It's so fucking crazy. It's so good. And it works. And it, it shouldn't. Like, it's a little green Muppet. And he's got this goofy voice. And how did they pull this off? Honestly, I I don't know how they pulled this off if you've never seen Star Wars and you're like rolling into this now and you got to watch this puppet on screen instead of a CG character, honestly, I I think, yes, I think, yes, you could do it because somehow they made it work. Like it was just as risky then as it would be today. And they somehow made it work. I I don't know what spell they put on us to fucking land it because it's so fantastic, but they did. So, you know, good for them. Yeah, I think it would work now. I mean, maybe only the most
3: cynical person would be like, oh, this is just a stupid puppet. But, you know, one of the problems that CGI characters have, at least in my opinion, is that you can tell that they have no mass. There's nothing there. And the way Yoda moves in Empire is that of an old man. You know, he moves around. I mean, there's maybe some problems with the way his mouth moves and stuff, but, like the expressions on his face work well the eyes whereas now we get characters. Well probably the best way to almost prove it is that CGI Yoda I think looks terrible. And I think now I don't I think it would be too risky now to to try it. I mean they'll just say, yeah, we'll, we'll just do it in the computer. Look, guys, just look at the tennis ball. Just imagine it's a little green guy. We'll do it in post. I think if somebody wanted to take a risk and do it again, they I think they could do it and it would work. And I think if you're seeing this for the first time now, a movie from almost 40 years ago, I think, yeah, I think you can buy it. The
2: performances are there to sell it. I'd take any of the live action Yoda, the puppet over CGI any day. I just think there's that emotional connection with the character. Like when you see him, you know, he's not a creation, like, you know, he's there and he plays into the whole believing aspect of the force. And Like, when you see this character, like, you're like, oh, look, it's a puppet. It's this little guy. There's no way. And over the progression of the movie, there's this emotional attachment and you see what he's capable of doing. But there is that connection between him and Luke Skywalker. And it's a testament, I think, to the acting of Mark Hamill to really have that bond with this puppet that creates this character that really has transcended both trilogies. Like It's just amazing what they're able to accomplish. And I hope they're able to do something similarly when it comes to the, the upcoming trilogy as well. So I do think it appeals to the modern audiences when you see that amazing ability that everyone who was involved in the Yoda character was able to accomplish on screen.
0: And I agree. I think it was definitely a risk. I think if this did not work, the movie and the franchise would have stopped here if Yoda didn't work at all. And I agree with you. I think it's, you know, a tribute to three people here. You know, you got the director, Irvin Kirshner, who allowed this to work. And still with George's vision, of course, you got Frank Oz, who did the puppeteering and the voice. And again, as you said, Andrew, and I was going to get into it. Mark Hamill, he sells this. If Mark doesn't sell it to the audience and if he doesn't believe it, we don't believe it. And again, it's a testament to what he did as an actor. Now, again, is he the greatest actor in the world? No. But because he's a geek and he believes in this universe, like he is able to imagine himself in this universe and there on set. Again, a credit because it's a tactile, practical set that he is able to give a chance to believe and attach himself to and get immersed in. He sells this to us, and that's it's amazing. And ha- Hamill is amazing through this whole thing. We touched upon his performance in the original one, how he's just the wide-eyed farm boy, and that kicks off, and he's a little bit more whiny and unsure of himself and wants that adventure and longing for it. In this one now, he's a leader, and he's a bit more cocky. He's kind of like that stage as a young adult, late teens, early 20s, where you think you can do anything. In his fight with Vader, like you see how, yeah, you know, I think he says, um, yeah, find out I'm full of surprises. And then he loses his lightsaber to Darth Vader quickly there because he was just getting a bit too overconfident and cocky. This is where the character is supposed to be in this narrative. And he did it well. It's a tribute to the writing, directing and the acting. I also wanted to point here, I, I just did watch Empire pretty recently. Harrison Ford does give a really good performance here. This is one of his better performances. He's just bang on in every scene. He's a scene stealer. A lot of quotes from this movie really come from either him, Yoda or Darth Vader. I also liked Carrie Fisher. I think Jeff, as you mentioned, their chemistry is there. The love story works. I even like three PO. Nobody's mentioned PO here. Do you guys think he gets annoying? I love the humor, the witty banter he has between him and Harrison Ford. It might get a bit too much, but I love the humor that he interjects here. And he did it in similar in the first one. We haven't really talked about 3PO. I wanted to get into it now.
2: What do you guys think of the character, and what do you think of him in this movie? I've never really had too much of an issue with 3PO. I don't know where the—well, besides the prequels, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, I, I thought like the, the inclusion of 3PO and R2-D2 was done very well throughout the movie itself. I don't see where the hatred or where any of the—yeah, the, I, I, I'm baffled as to hear why people would be upset with 3PO in this movie. I just think people just get
0: annoyed. He's just too much, too whiny, too prissy. But that's who he's supposed to be, like the worrywart. So, how about you, how about yourself, uh, Nathan? Oh well, I mean,
3: he's the butler, so I mean that's kind of his role that he plays. Yeah, again, like yeah, he, he gets a lot of flack. I think uh, him and well, um, well, maybe not or two, but I think he doesn't play necessarily a huge role in a new hope. And here, I think the banter between him and. Harrison Ford uh, work really well. It's actually kind of interesting that they split up the droids because they're supposed to be kind of the, the comic relief pair the first one, and then here they serve two entirely different functions. I don't really get the, the hate. And he's a delicious cereal, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am guilty as that. I, see miss, I miss, awesome. too. I miss <laughs> that cereal. I really do. And the mask. Yeah, you got the mask. You get to cut it out, right? Oh, yeah. On the box. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. How about you, Jeff?
1: I love C-3PO. They did a really interesting thing here, as Nathan said, where they split up the droids, which lets them do two things. Luke, you know, further bonds with R2-D2, which is another one of those things that shouldn't work, but it does. I mean, it's uh, the amount of personality that's in that upside down trash can with a dwarf inside is pretty mind blowing. And Mark Hamill can sell, you know, sells the relationship. So that is a big piece of why it works. And it's great. Let's see 3PO. And then, and then it's an unexpected banter with Han Solo. They didn't need to throw that in there and, or it could have been with another character. So I, it works so well. It's, I love their exchange. It's hilarious. And 3PO, yeah, he's, he's kind of whiny, but he still twinge a little bit when he gets uh, taken apart there and blasted apart by the stormtroopers. So I can't. Anybody hates C3PO? Come on. Feel free to listen to another goddamn podcast. It's C3PO.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I love 3PO here, especially in this movie. And I liked him in the first one, but I think this seals the deal for me. His humor was just perfect. I love the banter. Yeah, and again, the stakes are, are raised. Like he gets injured as well as you said, gets blasted apart by the Stormtrooper. Yeah, and again, going back to the characters and the acting, Vader himself. Again, this is the movie that kind of cemented his iconography, and grained himself in pop culture here. So scary. You guys touched upon all this stuff before. So perfect. The, I think any other Star Wars movie in the future coming up here is going to have a very hard time topping the bad guys of Vader and, and the Emperor himself. But that's a separate story. How about we now just quickly talk about the revelation? This is the moment that kind of everybody thinks about when they think of the Star Wars original trilogy. Darth Vader reveals himself to be Luke Skywalker's
1: father. Yeah, I remember when I first saw it as a as a little kid, and I heard that this is the common reaction is that, for kids, is that the, I didn't believe it. I thought he was lying. And I carried that through until, you know, I saw Return of the Jedi. So, you know, I was in the same place as Luke. Like, I couldn't believe it. Didn't, right. you know, I was like, no, there's no way. There's just no way. Now, okay, so there's two things. So, one... The scene itself after the epic lightsaber duel and, you know, the, the situation there where Luke's kind of, you know, out on that weird whatever the hell thing that is. And he's got nowhere to run. Uh, so great setting there. I mean, it's, uh, the setup for the scene is so good. I mean, the, the tension's so high and it's unexpected. It's so unexpected. So when that revelation comes and and you're already like at the edge of your seat and you can't believe it because Luke loses, he's, he's lost the battle which you don't expect the hero to lose the the duel and he and he does and he's got nowhere to go and then on top of all of that, boom, you get the revelation. I mean, that, that's so tense. It's like, shit, what like what else could go wrong at this moment now for Luke? Like everything is you're completely rattled uh, in a in a good way. I mean, the it's not it's just unexpected I think that's great. I think Unfortunately, because of that, like we start to get this, these kinds of revelations now and these connections now in, in movies, it's handled very poorly, and we talked about this with Spectre on our last one there, where they don't, they don't quite pull off these uh, these revelations very well, and it, it tends to make the universe smaller. So is that, is that the case here? Is that happening here as well?: I don't know. I mean it, it, you know now, if you think of it objectively, it kind of feels like it's a pretty big coincidence now doesn't it? No, yes,
0: it does. Yeah. It makes the universe smaller, but the interesting concept here is, is that Obi-Wan lied.
1: Yeah. Well, that's another layer on top of it as that's well. Is, that's uh, a, there's more layers yeah. here.
2: Yeah. Andrew, how about yourself? I really wish that I could have
1: watched this movie for the
2: first time, not knowing that spoiler. Oh
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. So yeah. at the time when I watched this, like I was in junior high, I didn't get the opportunity to watch this in the theaters. And thanks to the Simpsons, Amongst other, uh, <laughs> I, I still think that's one of my favorite Simpsons scenes of all time, and I do quote it on numerous instances, but it, it is that emotional impact of finding out that Vader is Luke's father, it's just You don't get that these days. It's one of the reasons why with the upcoming movie, I'm trying to distance myself as much as possible. And Harry, I know you've talked numerous times about how like the revelation of Khan in Into Darkness, just it really impacted your soul and you felt that much more (laughs) than Vader's reveal and it was so much better done. I joke because I know Harry, you're gonna kill me when you see me for even joking about it. <laughs> oh yeah, you're you're in trouble,
0: buddy.
1: You just gonna disconnect you <laughs> off the fucking
2: show <laughs> and that'll be it. I think that's where as movie audiences these days, or movie audiences in general, are so thirsty for spoilers. And I kind of had that feeling when I was going to watch the prequel. Like my friend was always giving me crap about like trying to spoil the movie. And I think really in order to enjoy the experience itself, like you should go in with as little information as possible. And I love the impact this has. I hope they do something similar that's completely out of left field, that it also makes sense at the same time. Like It brings everything together and has that much more of an impact for Luke. So while unfortunately I couldn't watch it for the first time with that experience, I can't wait to share that experience with people who are unaware of this impact like and I love seeing reaction videos on YouTube of kids who don't know that Vader is Luke's father and it's just i it's one of the classic moments of cinema for sure
0: yeah i know i'm trying to save that spoiler for my kids right now they know i love Star Wars they know of Star Wars they say Vader's bad They know Luke and they know Chewbacca and that's it. And I'm trying to, you know, save that for them. It'll be interesting. But then the question I have for you then, since you knew the spoiler, Andrew, did this lessen the impact of that scene when you first watched it?
2: Oh, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Like, there still was a huge impact in the scene that like, the way that the scene is done, just how Vader looks and Luke is just like, he's done. Like, he's beaten. And Vader's like, ha, I'm going to kick you in the balls with this one. It, it's still, it's, it's an amazing scene. But that impact, like, of just not knowing something that has just such a profound impact on the entire trilogy, I, as I said, like, I, I really missed out on experiencing that without knowing that uh, Vader was Luke's father. You know,
3: I don't remember what my first reaction was when I was a kid, but I'm a gullible person. So I probably just bought it and every, <laughs> apparently everyone thought it was a lie. It, you know, and I, this is one of my favorite scenes out of the movie. And it's one where I'll rewind it back to the beginning on the, the gangway there. And, you know, watch it a couple of times. I think the way the scene plays out is great, even though I know what the reveal is. And, it, yeah, it's so ingrained in pop culture. Everyone that I've ever met has not seen Star Wars knew that this was, you know, the big reveal. You know, so, I mean, I've, I've watched it with, with someone who had not seen it before, but they they knew it. But I think that the scene maybe doesn't have the full weight behind it, but it's still because the scene is so interesting. I think it still plays out well enough. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like you, I don't have a full recollection of that memory or my surprise when I first saw it in theaters because I saw it a back-to-back of Star Wars, A New Hope, and Empire for the first time ever. Probably because my mind was blown and I went into a self-induced coma, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. But yeah, it was. it's an amazing twist. It still stands up today. Even though I know the spoiler, I'm still excited for, with that conversation. When he reveals it, it's so well played out and done. It's like a classic Shakespearean moment where you're just revealing this twist and it's so great. I just love it. How about the ending? Like the fact that this movie ends... With unresolved threads, like it's a cliffhanger ending. That throwback that Lucas has, he knows he's making a third one because you know Star Wars was so successful. Do you guys think that worked, or do you think that this didn't work, or do you think that this might actually not work with modern audiences today? What what do you guys think about that?
2: Hmm. Um, Uh, Go ahead. I, I think I think it works perfectly. Do I think it would work with today's moviegoers? Not as much because we're all spoiled, and I don't think people can handle the fact that. I'm not sure we, we, get, we get enough reminders as it is, but I don't think people see it too much in movies where not everything goes right. It ends on such a down note that's like, oh, my God, how are they going to recover from this? And the way that movies play out these days, it seems to be like they want people to be able to walk away with at least a smile on their face or some hope. Sometimes there's just there's no hope. And it's a matter of how you can battle back from moments where you're that low. Do I think it would have the same impact? Not as much, uh, but I think it was done very, very well to keep the audience wanting more, saying it's like, we can't wait for the next one. Let's speculate. Let's talk. How are they going to do this? It leaves so many open questions. It was great. I-, I loved it. I think modern audiences, I would accept this a bit more because, I mean,
3: we're such in the world of like everything's a franchise, and so you always expect the middle movie to have these loose threads that are not tied up. I think this would have been more of a shock for audiences back in the 80s when you didn't have, you know, planned trilogies. I think people would have been, like, confused, I would think, anyways. I think they'd find it confusing, like, wait, it just ends, Han Solo's gone, and... These guys just kind of fly off. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Whereas now, I think people would be, they wouldn't necessarily like it, but they would just accept that, that, okay, yeah, this is the middle movie, sure. I still think it worked. I mean, there are, I think it was Joss Whedon who says that
1: Empire commits the greatest sin of a movie and doesn't end. Something to that effect. Hmm. Now, that's an interesting perspective. There, uh, you know, a movie that doesn't really have an have an ending. I never thought of it that way. I, I mean, in true cliffhanger fashion, like you walk out of Empire, and you got like a hole in your chest, and there's nothing you can do about it because it's not over, right? The next movie's not there. I mean, obviously, the next movie's there for us now. It is, but you know, if you got to wait three years between that and Return of the Jedi, I mean, to for the resolution, uh, good lord, like would that work today? I sure hope so. I sure hope that that would work today. I think that it would. You know, it's a ballsy thing to do to leave that cliffhanger out there. You know, we don't definitely don't see that a lot in movies. Or if we do, it's because, of, you know, the third one's kind of right around the corner. Like when they made the Matrix sequels, uh, they made them back to back. So even though the second Matrix movie ends with the cliffhanger, and it's, you know, similar fashion to Empire Strikes Backwards Dark and an unexpected revelation and then the movie's over, but you know the third Matrix movie was right around the corner. Like the trailer for it was at the end of the movie, right? like, it was right there. Same with the Back to the Future two and three. You have your cliffhanger, but the resolution's right around the corner. So, so yeah, I think that there's examples where it's been done. I think it worked today for sure. Yeah, and I think it was a great choice for the for the film because it's a you just a punch in the stomach, and it's like somebody came along, punch in the stomach, and said, "You can get that fixed up enough for three years." Sorry, see it.
0: Yeah, as you said, Jeff, it's a it's punch in the gut leaves you, but it leaves you wanting more. And as a second act in the opera, he committed to leaving the movie on a down note and the heroes are all messed up and at the worst place they could possibly be. I think it worked then. It was a risk and it paid off. It would work today in today's modern audiences because I see in so many other franchises they do. They may not go as far as this by leaving that major question open. Is he the father? but they do leave the heroes on a down note even in today's other franchises you could talk about Harry Potter as an example where they've they've had movies and and they're in deep water trouble and it's got to get resolved in the next movie so i think you see it also in today's tv show i mean the last the next time i saw this kind of like punch in the gut happen it's like oh my god i need to see what's happening is was when Riker goes mr wharf fire <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck
2: that's one of the greatest cliffhangers of all time. Like, I just remember, like, the entire summer, my family and I were like, ah, what? Ah, "What? What? What?" they like, I was excited because I loved Riker. I'm like, "Oh, thank God, they're gonna kill off Picard." That what? has since changed. I just want to let How the you? go. How um, dare you say that? I know, I know, I know. But even <laughs> as a joke, I'm sorry. I really hope that if they do have something similar for the upcoming trilogy. I don't want to see much of the next movie. Like, I want that mystery. I want that suspense. I really appreciate what J.J. is doing in terms of keeping a lot of the upcoming movie quiet, unlike Batman versus Superman, but that's another podcast. I just love this whole notion. And it puts the character, uh, the audience in the character's shoes at the very end of the movie because there there is no hope. And so you start speculating, like, how are they going to come? get out of this. And I think the characters go through that same motion between Empire and and Return of the Jedi. So I I thought it was just beautifully done. And as Nathan mentioned, at the time, it was really unheard of in regards to having a movie end like that.
0: Yeah, I just want to just touch upon, I just hope that the new movies don't copy and leave, like the second movie can be dark, but I hope they don't necessarily say I got to copy and leave a cliffhanger in the same way like this is. I'm not saying someone's going to be the father of somebody. I'm saying it could just be any kind of major twist cliffhanger that I hope they do something a bit different. I'm trusting they they will because I think that'll there'll be an uproar if they go right out and copy beat for beat like some of these you know some of these story story points here. So, Jets, just quickly, let's touch upon. We can merge this in one round here. Score, sets, and cinematography. Jeff, let's start with you first here.
1: I think that the score is perhaps not as iconic as A New Hope, but still absolutely fantastic. And we have the addition of the Imperial March here for the first time, which is such a great beat. The sets, again, I love the sets on Cloud City. Again, you know, the that has sort of a 70s aesthetic to it, but the white walls and all of that looked uh, pretty cool, I thought. And again, you know, cinematography, there's a couple of scenes here that are so well shot they really bring a lot to the story uh, you know an example my uh, it's my favorite shot of the film is when on Dagobah when when Luke is leaving he gets in his x-wing he flies off leaving Obi-Wan and Yoda talking oh, yeah. about uh, and then and, and, you and get the, the lights li- and, uh, yeah the lights uh, from yeah. Uh, yeah oh man that's so fucking good oh yeah, it's that's a, amazing it's a goddamn puppet uh, as the only character on screen is a puppet and the way it's lit, and oh, man, ah, it's so fantastic. How do they do that? Somebody tell me how they do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand it. It's, oh, it's, it's amazing. So
0: yeah, it's, it's so amazing. good. I probably wouldn't have brought it up in the podcast, but I always love that shot in the movie. Yeah, good call out, Jeff.
3: Yeah, one of the things I really love, again, that they, like I sort of talked about this with New Hope, is that all the different... Set pieces have a very different style to them. From Hoth to Dagobah to Cloud City, everything looks really different. I Really like that. I like it, like the set design on Hoth. I think that was great because these guys they look cold and kind of unhappy, you know, sort of in this in this cave. The uh, you know we get to introduce some new new droids that have a great design to them like that Metroid droid I think looks really cool even though Bespin has that 70s style to it uh, I kind of like that actually. You know, it's, it sort of looks, I don't know, it gives it a unique feel that I think actually oddly not stands up. And yeah, again, cinematography, a lot of later on the the uh, fight between Luke and Vader, a lot of the set design with, you know, you got the fog and the lights, you know, silhouettes, everything, that all works really well.
2: Score, I, I think certainly it's a close to the same level as the New Hope. I think New Hope had the ability to, to set the, the themes for the majority of the trilogy. But I think Empire, that, that is another score that is absolutely breathtaking. When it comes to the sets, what I love is that like throughout Star Wars, right, like all of the sets for the most part, like you feel as if they're real places, like no matter how they're created or where they were shot, they just feel like tangible, real, like they were filmed on location in Hoth. And that's carried through even like when you take a look at video games, like you take a look at Star Wars Battlefront that just came out, regardless of like the quality of the game itself, like the environments, like you feel as if you're in the movie. And this is 30 years later. And they're still using like the same imagery that is captured in, in this movie and other movies as well. So the sets really set the, the theme for the movie. And whether it's Bespin, whether it's Dagobah, Dagobah, I think was done exceptionally well in Hoth. It's just all engrossing, just as good as A New Hope, if not better.
0: I agree. Score, in my opinion, is equaled, if not bettered here for The Empire Strikes Back. You get an evolution of the themes. You get new themes. Jeff, you mentioned the Imperial March, probably the most iconic theme outside of maybe the main fanfare. And it's just an improvement. I think overall, as a full score, I'd probably still give the edge to this one over A New Hope. I think some of A New Hope's tracks are still very well done, but not as impressive or as exciting as the ones in The Empire Strikes Back. In terms of sets and cinematography, yeah, I do love, as you mentioned, Dagobah, the Hoth base. The most impressive one, and I think the most iconic one, is the carbon freezing chamber. And I even like the innards of Cloud City when Luke are fighting. I mean, what a great set piece and shot when, when he defeats Vader on the upper level, and the Vader gets pushed back, and then Luke goes down he has to first travel through this tube that lights up and all those details. And then he gets out, the gate closes, get that other room there. And it's got all these controls and the silhouette from the window. It's all so good. It's eerie. It's dark, very detailed and still like very, I wouldn't say alien, but the technology there, it makes it really think that it's on a a different level than us. Yet it's still tactile and tangible. And I love that. And then, you know, shout out to, of course, uh, Vader's Masturbation
2: Chamber, of course, um, <laughs> first he tells godfather 2 to go fuck himself and he talks about the masturbation
1: chamber <laughs> what would you call it i might have just said chamber i don't i don't know what I-
0: hey man he's got
1: a screen in there
0: he's on a comfy couch he's just laid back his legs are spread open what do you want me to say
1: <laughs> one piece man
0: cave is what it is <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's every every he's guy's screen, uh, he's got the chair you know he's 7.1 you know yeah yeah
2: <laughs> it's an imperial kinder surprise. Oh, look, it's a Vader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it is
0: just all in all, just quite amazing, all the set. Cinematography, I agree as well. There's so many great shots. Jeff, you mentioned that shot. A lot of great shots during the Hoth battle, you know, the taking off of the ships. And, and it's just everything. It's just all all well-rounded. It's good. I can't do justice by sitting here talking about it within a couple of minutes. So just, just I just have one question for you guys. I heard some complaints that, Part of the problems that people have with Empire Strikes Back is there's a pacing issue. I mean, Luke was being trained on Dagobah, Han and Leia are stuck in the slug, the space slug, and stuff like that, even though that's a great scene. I mean, what other movie would have them go into a cave and it turns out to be the innards of a space slug? I mean, these are all great stuff, but they're saying the pacing is a bit low and they start to get bored. Do you guys agree? No. Jeff? No,
2: I don't agree at all. Andrew? No, absolutely not.
0: Oh, I 100% agree, so let's fuck fuck those bastards who bring that up. Yeah. Okay. So, again, just gents, final thoughts on... Unless there's something else you want to bring up special for The Empire Strikes Back, do you think this movie has any flaws whatsoever? And we can also talk about the, some of the special edition changes here. What do you guys think? Uh, any flaws... There's maybe a couple of, uh, not, not necessarily flaws,
3: but maybe some minor plot holes, if you will. Um, I mean, between the Millennium Falcon chase scene and Luke's training, I mean, it, when you think about it, it's almost as though Luke's training is just a couple of days. Because the way the movie is kind of cut together, it seems as though by the time, there's maybe only a couple of days between when the Millennium Falcon escapes Hawk and is on Bespin. And Luke has been training with Yoda. The way it's it's cut, it's almost as though it's just a couple of days. I'm also convinced that George Lucas does not know what a star system is. I think he thinks that planets just float out in space and you just, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't understand what a solar system is, right? It's like, oh, well, there's Bespin, but we're on Hoth and they call it the Hoth system. So it's Bespin in this Hoth system and at things like that, you know, I think are minor quibbles. but. It only really comes up when you kind of think about it. I think the pace, there's enough action, and nothing's going on in the movie that you don't necessarily think about it, but I think those are kind of flaws.
0: Yeah, you get so invested in the characters and the story, you don't really think about it. I agree. I think the only flaw that I can think of is just the time aspect of, you know, how long Luke was, you know, you got space travel. So if Luke's on Dagobah for so long and it takes that long for Han and Leia to get to Bespin, but then Luke gets to Bespin very quickly. But maybe that's because of the hyperdrive, then the people name, because the hyperdrive is not active, so it took him a lot longer to get there on the Falcon. I don't know, there can be some quibbles there and some logic issues there in terms of time, but I think that'd be the only thing for me. How about you, Jeff?
1: Yeah, the training aspect is the thing, that is the one problem I have here. He goes from Zero to Jedi in a couple of days and that, and those are all really great scenes, but yeah. It is a little difficult to believe that he can even get any amount of training that would prepare him for any kind of conflict. So, so that's, that's tough as, as far as the, uh the space travel, like, yeah, like Luke's hyperdrive was fine on the SX wing. So I think they were okay. I think we're okay there, but yeah, that, that's the only, that's really the only thing that doesn't work. Everything else comes together really well. Uh, you know, the battle path at the beginning is exciting and, and different. The lightsaber battle is so, so iconic. I mean, one thing I like—it's just a small thing—is uh, when Luke gets to Cloud City there, and he's following the stormtroopers, trying to track down uh, everybody. And then, then, then the battle kind of erupts there, and all the stormtroopers are shooting at him. And Lando keeps—he's like trying to get a look at Luke. You know, he's like, "Who, who the, who the hell is this guy?" You know, he, he can't see him. I love that that little look he has—he squints yeah. and he's like, "Ah," oh, and then he gets. You know, and he goes, right? I yeah. love that.
0: Also, the shout, a shout-out about how the, the coward Imperial officer grabs Leia as a shield. Yeah. I like yeah. that little beat there, too. So, Andrew, do you agree with Jeff? Do you think that the training was too short, unbelievable for Luke to
2: mount any defense against Darth Vader there? I actually don't have too much problem with it, because he gets his ass handed to him. He's only there for a few days, and he goes up, and, and that's why Yoda's like, uh, what what are you doing? you just got here. Why are you going to go challenge Vader? And he's like, I have to save my friends. And he's like, you're going to get your ass kicked. Hmm. And that's why like, they have the conversation between him and Obi-Wan saying, it's like, he was our last hope. And like, no, there's another, that's the other cliffhanger for this movie that people walk away from going like, well, is Luke going to die? I didn't find too much of an issue with it. The only issue that I would have with this movie is that it's just not standalone. You can't just watch it. And then like, okay, that's good. And then not either watch the first one or return of the Jedi. But As I said, when I first introduced this movie, I think it's a perfect movie. I think everything comes together with good reason. There's no pacing issue. The character, it just, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, I agree with mostly what you said, Andrew. I don't find it an issue at all. I think he wasn't, Jeff, he didn't go Zero to Jedi. He went to, you know, Jedi in training. Zero to Jedi in training. And he he already had some instruction. And I think there was some time that between A New Hope, that he was kind of figuring some things out himself. And they show that at the beginning of the film, even though he's still struggling with it, he was able to still pull the lightsaber to him with the force. And because he's the son of the chosen one, I'm able to make an exception here. We're supposed to believe that Luke is special and he is the only one. And it makes sense in terms of the saga. So even if you just look at it from an original trilogy perspective, I didn't have an issue. And as you said, Andrew, it's not like he owned Vader. And I think from when we look at it from, a Return of the Jedi's perspective as well, Vader's not really trying to hurt Luke that much. He's testing and playing with Luke. He comes out with only holding the lightsaber in one hand. He's kind of taunting Luke. He says, come at me, bro. Let me see what you got. You know, and then he's like saying, you know, he's telling to himself, oh, perhaps you're not as strong as the Emperor thought. And then he gets, you know, he's surprised and he goes, impressive, you know, most impressive. You know, he's getting surprised. He's testing Luke out. So I think the scenes and the logic is there. So I'm not really surprised. We could argue that he did He need more training afterwards maybe did he get it we'll talk about in return of the jedi so gents final recommendation and
2: thoughts is this a rare antiquity recommendation oh yeah absolutely empire strikes back is one of the greatest movies of all time and i think anyone who appreciates cinema anyone who once again just like a new hope it's like how can you not recommend it beyond everything that we've already said it's no-brainer
3: yeah exactly a no-brainer i i think i'm gonna go watch it tonight just talking about
1: it just gets me all amped up yeah Uh, come on yeah fantastic oh totally. you gotta say totally. it for the record man <laughs> again just a bag of shit of a movie I mean, <laughs> <laughs> why are you like a it's a it's like a bag of shit on fire
0: yeah no for me it's uh the highest of the highest recommendations just like the other one this is the rare antiquity we're looking for so all other movies strive to be as good as this one in terms of sequels so okay so let's move on gents return of the jedi Andrew, based on the time, I believe you have to go. So thank you for joining us. Your uh, credentials have dropped a little bit because you're dropping us for something else, but that's
2: okay. Nobody's perfect. (laughs) Well, I was on time, Harry. (laughs) So uh, maybe we could have got to Return of the Jedi. But no, I really appreciate the thought and the invitation for this. I thought you're going to cut me out given the fact that I was saying that I was excited for Picard to die because I liked Riker more than Picard growing up. But uh, no, I really appreciate you guys inviting me to be a part of this podcast. I can't wait for the next one, and I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about Return of the Jedi.
0: Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Andrew, very much. Okay, Thank gentlemen. you, Andrew. Take oh. care. Have a good night. Okay, cheers. Okay, so, gents, let's continue with Return of the Jedi. We'll start with our high-level thoughts here. Nathan, how about you start us off first?
3: Well, I think Return of the Jedi is a great cap to the the trilogy. Again, great performances. I think the introduction of the Emperor as this menacing character that has been talked about in the trilogy, a great introduction. And, you know, just a very, very nice wrap-up to the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, we see the conclusion to Luke's journey loved seeing him as uh you know he's very different now right he's he's mature he's essentially fully trained as a Jedi at least according to Yoda you know that's a great job by Mark Camel there I mean that's that's a great capper for the trilogy some good action set pieces here
0: yeah I'd have to agree for the most part the only thing I'd like to interject here is that we might be starting to see the rushed conclusion and potential franchise fatigue from George Lucas. I think we all can admit, then, even if he can't, that there was a wider plan. He had in terms of how many movies there would be beyond like the first six, like he always talked about the prequels as well. But for a sequel to Return of the Jedi, there was always talk about it back then in the eighties, even though it never materialized. Maybe he thought that this is going to be it for, for these guys and he's got to wrap it up. I think some story points here got kind of put together a bit rushed. The replication of the Death Star as a threat, not the biggest fan, even though it's not really the point of the movie But I'm just saying these are just some signs of franchise fatigue and just a rushed storyline. But overall, it's still very good because the main A storyline is really Luke's journey, his relationship to Darth Vader, and their scenes with the Emperor. And they were all well done. As you mentioned, Jeff, the action set pieces here are top notch. The first act of this movie, absolutely amazing. We'll get into it. And I was just had a lot of fun with it. It was a fun movie all around and a really good conclusion to franchise. So how about we get into the story itself? So, Jeff, how about you start us off? What do you think are the s- strengths and weaknesses here for the story?
1: The first act is fantastic. Uh, you know, the maybe it's a little silly how they kind of infiltrate Jeb's palace there, but it it, it kind of comes together. I love the sail barge battle. And one of my favorite parts of the whole trilogy is when like Luke's out on the uh, oh yeah, out on the plank there and the the music starts up and you know, he mm-hmm. does the flip off. Oh, it catches the lightsaber. Oh, Man, so, so awesome. So epic. Great.
0: Epic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely epic. And, you know, that whole battle it was really good. I, I thought it was really well, really well put together. I think that's the highlight of the film is that uh, set piece there. I th- I w- would have liked to have seen a little more Yoda. I mean, he was, you know, he's in one scene and then he dies. I mean, there's a lot of emotional significance there and it it's rushed. You know, like you said, we get some story threads that are just kind of rushed up. And I think this is probably one of them is that. So that that was kind of too bad that we didn't get to see Yoda a little bit more. But again, it, I guess what, I you know, we're not going to watch more training sequences either. So, you know, we got to do something there. And I know what you're saying about the duplication of the Death Star, but I really liked uh, the, how it how it concluded. I thought that the space battle was epic, like well put together. You, you could follow along with what was going on in space. That's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love the flying into the superstructure. I think that's a real strength. You know, as far as weaknesses... Yeah, the, there's definitely more problems here. I think that there's some pacing issues, you know, maybe in the second act. When the heroes all, get on Endor? Well, yeah, like I, I'd say right from when Yoda dies, uh, well, maybe that's okay. When they arrive on Endor, it's a little bit clunky, mm-hmm. I find. So that's that's probably where the movie has its, has the most uh, trouble. And once the action starts up, then everything's all good, right? But yeah, but I, I think overall the story works, though. Hmm. Nathan, yourself. Oh,
3: I don't even know what I can say to Jeff hasn't said. I I think the, what I I wish movies had more often was, especially genre movies, was like big action sequence to start off the movie, right? Uh, Sort of a more modern movie that comes to mind when they kind of do it is Age of Ultron. You know, they're, all together fighting Hydra, but it's only a 10 minute sequence. It's not a full act the way it is in, in Jedi and, and with Jedi. Yeah. Like the whole infiltration of the base, it's all kind of weird because it's, I'm really unclear on what part of it is planned and what is not. And they're just kind of winging
0: it. Yeah. Cause um, like in the end, everyone gets captured.
3: Well, yeah. And see, it's like, okay, well, was that the intent? I don't know. It, it, so uh, it's forgivable, I suppose as far as action sequences go i actually prefer the lightsaber battle at the end that i feel it has you know in empire it's sort of hard to top the emotional battle that happens during vader and luke and here they do top it i think it's a much more emotional a more high stakes battle now the the stakes themselves as far as the movie goes I think have been heightened. I mean, I, I kind of agree that perhaps reusing the Death Star, maybe not necessarily the best move story point wise, but the fact that now the whole thing is a trap and it potentially the rebels could lose everything here. I think it works well. And I think that the action, I think it distracts you from that fact well enough.
0: Yeah. For, for me, the first part of this movie, I mean, I do love, as you guys mentioned, the action. Again, I wanted to kind of point out, it seemed like, again, I enjoyed, and he harkened back to the original one, I, but not in the same way, I enjoyed the world-building and the slow build at the beginning of this film. Again, you're following R2D2 and C3PO going to Jabba's palace, and you get these wonderful sets. You get to see all these new aliens. You get to hear, finally, see who Jabba the Hutt is, and you get that slow build. And I love that whole set design and how they go in, and and then you get this, you know, the hints of the Rancor, and then you get to finally, you know, Leia in disguise and Chewbacca, and then. I love her costume. Pretty cool is that bounty hunter and tries to, you know, rescue Han doesn't work. And then Luke comes in and then you get the Rancor sequence. And that was amazing. I love the Rancor. What did you guys think of the Rancor? You guys like that scene? It's
3: a great scene. I think
0: even though I mean
3: it's clearly a stop motion figure, I think it is. It
0: is. For an effect from then,
3: Amazing. Oh, absolutely. And you know what's actually kind of surprising is that, well, I think given enough time, Lucas probably would have replaced even that scene with a, a CGI version eventually. It, it's a little surprising that he left that scene intact. But the whole, like, the entire Davos sequence, I think, is, is actually pretty cool. As
0: a kid, you know, I thought the Rancor scene was a little scary, you know. It was, um, Yeah, You got to see him uh, actually eating the guard, the Gamorrean guard, and he's like flipping the pieces yeah. of flesh in his mouth, and he's chomping on the hand, and you see him swallow it, and it's like, those are there's great those, effects. Amazing. Oh, yeah. And there's all those bones in there, and like, and actually, you know what is still
3: disturbing I just watched it again for this podcast, was the squealing from that guard.
1: It's a little disturbing, because I mean, like, he's <laughs> frightened, and it's like, oh, okay, now nah, yeah, he's toast. I love the Rancor scene, and it was scary, and you know what, I think what puts it over the top, talking about the Gamorrean guard getting eaten, is the sound, like that crunch oh yeah that he makes when he when he just bites that guy and right in half oh Oh, that sickeningly amazing you know great yeah I, i loved it
0: I even love the end, even though it's a pretty simple ending. He gets crushed by the gate as Luke throws a skull into the gate controls. But I love how he's still alive. You still see a partial struggle for him, the Rancor to survive, and then you see his claws finally release and relax because he's finally dead. And then I love the Rancor keepers crying, you know. It's like it's such a great scene. You know, you never see those kind of things in other movies, these little side details that just get you immersed in that whole whole atmosphere. Just, it's so great. And then as you yeah. touched upon Jeff the Sail Bard, so thrilling and so amazing. It's such a kick-ass scene. Even though, you know, I guess after seeing the prequel trilogy, you don't get to see the Luke actually cut into anybody. It's all implied. Yeah. But I don't have a problem with that. But uh, he uses
3: that lightsaber more as a bat. Yeah, because you don't see anyone losing limbs, which is weird because we have already seen people lose limbs to lightsabers. But they're and still he making... kind of swats people.
0: He does, but I can't fault the character or Mark Hamill or the stunt coordinators or how it's filmed because they're probably doing that because they can't show these limbs keep getting chopped up or fall off and stuff like that because they got to maintain a PG, PG PG-13 rating. I mean, at the time, there was no PG-13. It's PG or you're going R. I guess that's true, but
3: I think probably from a practical standpoint, it would have been too difficult to, to do this because it's already probably a fairly dangerous stunt to coordinate with all these barges that are being suspended somehow, right? You got a guy, you know, it's all crowded with a bunch of guys and they
0: got to get knocked off and stuff. So I think probably it's just not too practical to do. I love all the stunts. That these stunt guys are doing is these as they fall into the Rancor pit and they fall down the and slide down and stuff like that. Those are amazing shots. There's some great cinematography there from R- Richard Marquand or, or the people who are doing the the cinematography there. I thought that was really well shot. I love all the vantage points you get to see there. It's really good. And I really love the kick-ass moment when Luke comes on board, he sees that the gunner on the mainsail bar just still hitting it and haunting. Han's trying to rescue Lando and Luke gets in and then he just kind of like ignites his saber and like steps into him like with such force. I love that stuff. It's so great. Mm-hmm. What about the rest of the story after that? What did you think of? I know you said Endor's a bit clunky. What did you think of the father son moments with Luke and Vader before they go visit the Emperor?
1: I enjoyed their conversation there. I thought it was interesting how Luke was, you know, he's trying to turn him back. He's not going to do battle with him. He's He's trying to rescue him from the dark side. And you can hear in Vader's voice, like it's almost like he wants to listen to Luke. He wants to be saved, but yeah, you know, and he says it, like it's, it's too late for me, mm-hmm. even though it, it isn't. And Luke and Luke holds on to that right up until the end, that it's not too late for him. I thought that was a really good choice. Like it wasn't just, they could have done it in the script where Luke just gets captured and cause he's going to do battle. But you know, Luke basically gets captured cause he wants to get captured mm-hmm. and uh, in order to get close to Vader. So I thought it was a great story idea and I thought that both both actors played it played it really well.
0: Yeah what I also like there's another beat there I like it when Vader fires up his lightsaber Mm -hmm. because his skills are complete and then he turns around turns it off and then he goes indeed you are powerful and Mm -hmm. he kind of looks I don't know you have to read into what he's feeling there he knows that the emperor probably wants to replace him with Luke. Yeah. So he probably realizes it right here that Luke is indeed that powerful. Yeah, so I thought that was a really good character beat. How about you, Nathan? What do you think of these scenes?
3: Yeah, I think they're pretty great. Sometimes I I'm not, I kind of go back and forth on whether or not I think the dialogue works, but I think overall all the, the scenes work and what Luke is trying to accomplish. Again, if this movie had been made now, I'm I'm convinced it would have been a crazy rude Goldberg machine of Luke getting captured and he's trying to escape. But really it really was all a ploy to save Data, you know? So I, I think the fact that he surrenders and, and is sort of a willing participant in this whole thing, is like, well, okay, my fate is my fate. But it, I sort of feel that what Luke has here now is a certain confidence in his abilities and as to as to what he can do for his father, right? And but I think, again, what, what's happening is that, well, I think that if, I, um, if I'm here, it almost doesn't matter if, if I can save my father or not, because I mean, if I don't save him, well, we're all dead, and, and that's a good thing. But if I can't save him, then that's a good thing as well, and we can escape, which I think is, is very good. It shows a lot of character that he's willing to sacrifice himself that way, even though he's probably you know, you know one of the more useful people in rebellion. I think the fact that he has this mission of redemption She was a lot of interesting character for Luke.
0: Yeah, and I agree. I mean, it's a really good character arc for both Vader and Luke. But I I wanted to touch on one story point here. And I wanted to get your thoughts, because I know it's generated some discussion and controversy, and we can get into it here. Both Obi-Wan and Yoda, in an indirect way, tell Luke that he must kill Vader. Now, I've always interpreted that's Luke's final test. Because do they have faith that Anakin will return? and help luke defeat the emperor or do they think he legitimately has to kill darth vader and then the emperor because pretty much obi-wan kind of comes out and says it because luke goes i can't kill my own father and then he goes well then the emperor's already won so yeah. what's your interpretation of that conversation what do you think that obi-wan and luke mm-hmm. are, or do they do they believe that or do no, you I, think that they believe made the right choice no well i think i think that they
3: want vader dead and it just shows that luke is just the one that has in the end he does become the master and he just has more insights than those two Uh, because i don't really i mean i guess it could be interpreted that while they're just saying the things that luke needs to hear in order to win the day jeff you brought the matrix before and that's kind of the crux of the, the first movie with Oracle and stuff like that. I think that's kind of lazy because then it allows the writer to say, well, I don't really have to spell anything out. And if anyone interprets it this way or, or the other kind of like, Oh yeah, no, I thought of that. I like to think that Luke in the end is the smarter Jedi out of the, essentially the three that are remaining.
1: I agree with that interpretation. If we take a look at Yoda like from Yoda's perspective, you know, Anakin's a, he's a bad dude and he needs to be, he needs to be stopped. So I think that they're thinking of destroying this threat as opposed to trying to bring him back. And and I think uh, Obi-Wan also had the same thing as he felt betrayed. I mean, part of it was probably personal. He's feeling betrayed, you know, his friend turned on him and, and helped the Empire destroy the Jedi. So they're thinking of Anakin or Darth Vader as a threat that needs to be destroyed. I love that Luke, defies them because he has the faith that he can be brought back Mm -hmm. and i think that makes it that gives the new start to the jedi because the jedi failed
0: Mm -hmm. and i agree with the sentiment i prefer this interpretation that luke is the better man than obi-wan and even yoda he's going to be the wiser Jedi when he finally learns everything there is to be about a Jedi.
3: Yeah, you can sort of look at the original trilogy as its own beast, and then but when you combine the prequels, I mean, it adds a whole new element to this mix because he is supposed to be the chosen one. So I guess, yeah, I don't know, close right now, but yeah, I think. I think it probably makes a little more sense that ultimately this was the the final end game by Obi Wan and, and Yoda. Um but I don't know. It could still kind of go either way on it because who could have could have really foreseen that Vader would turn on, on the Emperor the, like literally the last minute. There is an understanding that the children of Anakin Skywalker are a threat to the Emperor. So it could be that, like, okay, well, there's, okay, so let's let's play this one out. One of them could potentially destroy the Emperor. Because, I mean, that's a whole thing though too is that maybe Luke does fail. Vader doesn't turn on the Emperor. And they've got instead. another one. Exactly. So, I mean, I mean, they are, they've got a couple of contingencies here. So, I mean, maybe they're kind of thinking of that. Like, Boy, he, they're a bunch of assholes. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> you know, they got A game, they got B, they've like, got C. I was like, okay, Luke's dead, Leia's dead, okay. On uh, Solo has been blinded. Okay, what about that Wookiee fellow? How strong is he? I wonder if he could, uh, up, yeah. you know, or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, well, what's Lando up to? You know, you think he's up to the task? <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe they've got all these contingency plans. Who knows? But I kind of – I think that they really – I think that they had faith that either Luke or Leah could take out the Emperor. I think they yeah. really put all their eggs in the Luke basket yeah. and that it didn't quite play out. Well,
0: in a way, he – luke did bring back his father in the end so
2: uh,
0: who's to say? the logic behind obi-wan and yoda's thoughts here i it's hard to really decide which way it leans is was this their plan was it luke's plan maybe luke's plan because when you when you think about it luke's plan might have been okay i'm there to distract vader and the emperor and so they don't escape from the eventual attack from the rebel alliance and we all get blown up because he says soon i'll be dead and you with me that's luke's end game is that he knows his his plan is we're all going to kingdom come yep. so that's his role his destiny and maybe that's the case i just find it really odd like i like the fact that luke would be and it makes sense that luke would be the better man than obi-wan and yoda because in my opinion they did fail based on what we saw in the prequel trilogy they are failures of that era for well, allowing all the, the shit time. to come
3: well, it's kind of implied, anyways, even in in the original trilogy, without it quite being spelled out, right? I mean, uh, Obi Wan failed Anakin Skywalker with the end result of the uh, Knights being destroyed. Yoda's role in the whole thing is a little bit more murky, but yeah, based on the on the prequels, I mean, that's a a fail for him as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It is an interesting topic, and to be honest, I hadn't really ever given this aspect of it all that much thought. I agree with you, Harry, that like it looks it looks like Luke's plan is to distract Vader and the Emperor or at least draw attention away from the rebels on Endor so they can get the shield generator down. So that's mm-hmm. that's his primary goal. He's going on a one way trip or he, he believes he is. Right. He thinks he's going to die, but he's going to try to right the wrong of, of Anakin turning to the dark side in the first place in the process if he can, you know. So And that's, that's
0: what makes him better.
1: Right. And I agree. Yeah. 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 I think it's more poignant for the story if that's what happens and that Yoda and, and Obi-Wan are just like, well, you know, Vader's a bad dude. He's got to go. So, yeah, we'll turn his children against him when they grow up, you know, like they're they're cold, cold bastards for that. But I think that's what their plan was. And, and even that plan failed, really, if you think about it, because... Uh, Luke saw that you know they were still good there. So you know now that, that now that i kind of peeling some layers back there, I, I know, I'm liking I'm liking the resolution even more. When you actually like put the spotlight on it, I think there's a lot more weight to it there, and I think that makes it better.
0: Yeah, well, it gives even a new meaning to Return to the Jedi, right? Because yeah. you know one can even just say even Luke, you know Obi Wan and Yoda's version of who the Jedi are are obsolete, and right. I think maybe we'll see facets of this moving forward, or at least I hope so, in the new movies. Anyways, so let's move on. Another big story point, obviously. Let's get into it here. Throw down Leia being the sister, that revelation. Again, from my take, it's a rushed ending. I think it's just a coincidence. I don't think Lucas had any idea before that Leia would be the sister, but because he probably wasn't going to be expanding into other trilogies right away, at least sequel ones. In his mind, he wanted to wrap this storyline up very conveniently without introducing a brand new character, he had to make Leia the sister.
3: Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I think, oh, I think with each of these movies, you show that like Lucas does not really have a lot of forethought into what the next movie is going to tackle. Because in A New Hope, I don't think at any point did he have the notion that Vader was Luke's father. And then in Empire, there's no notion that the two of them are twins. I mean, there's the whole kiss in, on Hoth there. it is bizarre. This whole other like scenes them making out and stuff like that and making googly eyes with each other. It's just weird. And so when you get to this, one of the big criticisms of Star Wars is that, well, you got a whole galaxy, and yet the oh, biggest galaxy-changing events seem to revolve around just a handful of people. So making her the sister,
0: yeah, it's kind of a weak story point, you just kind of accept it, though, and... And you move on. You know, we've argued this on other movies here, Jeff and Nathan. It's just making the universe that much smaller. I think it still wouldn't have been that bad of an idea to leave that thread open. I know Lucas maybe thought this is it. He was going through a divorce at the time. He was in a nasty place. Probably didn't think he'd do any more Star Wars movies. Um, But I think it was a mistake to just make, force her to be the sister. Makes the universe small. Rush plot point. And I don't think it would have been a bad idea to leave that thread open. What do you guys think? you think it would have been okay if they left that open, even though he managed to defeat the emperor, invader's gone, and the rebels won, but the sister's still out there somewhere. Do you think that would have been okay,
1: or did it need to get wrapped up? okay. Oh man, there's okay. Here's, Hey man, gonna, this is, this is now the interesting stuff. Let's do it. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's why it's okay. I, but well, I'm going to disagree. I was under the impression if you go back to empire. So I think that he knew that they were, that she was his twin sister in empire. I think George Lucas knew that in the story. And if you watch empire, there's a couple of scenes there that that are clues that there's that connection between them. One is obviously at the end when, when Luke kind of calls out to her through the Force to come and rescue him right after he falls out of cloud city and he's just hanging on that antenna there he calls out to her and he's and she's the only one i got the impression he called out to her because she was be the only one who'd be able to hear him and even though he didn't know who she was you know he knew there was a connection the other one and this is a small piece and maybe i'm reading too much into it is when han solo's getting put into the carbon freeze chamber and Chewie kind of breaks free a little bit and there's a you know, throws a stormtrooper off the scaffolding there and Boba Fett raises his gun to shoot, and Vader grabs his gun and lowers it. And then Leia looks right at Vader and he looks right at her. And there's that look, like there's something that's there. So I think that was deliberate for us uh, to pick up. I think that's Leia. a stretch, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, I think I, the second one's a stretch. I think the the well, calling well, out that You gotta look at it, but why did they sure. do that? Why did they why did they do that? That was deliberate.
0: Well, I
1: also could have just uh, uh,
3: it that way. I mean, I don't know if necessarily... Maybe, like maybe Vader, seen,
0: Vader already knows he's got them by the balls. and No need to kill anybody. Uh, he'd rather, he's, he'd he's rather pretty, keep these people alive. Casual,
1: but he's pretty casual. Okay, with okay. Like,
0: it just hit me. He's using this because that's why he says, I want these two to go to my ship. You can take Han Solo, Boba Fett, Lando, I want these two guys on my ship. I'm altering the deal because he wants those guys just in case he needs leverage on Luke.
1: Yeah, okay, so he could... So murder. why kill him? He's got. He's planning ahead. He's two steps ahead. It's more the look that they that they share. Uh, she's looking right up at Vader. Uh, yeah. I'd yeah. have to watch we'll it watch again. It. Yeah, yeah. But he's, she's looking right at him, and he lo- and he looks right back at her because that's how it's cut.
0: Okay, I don't know. I'd have to watch it again. I, th- I thought she was looking tele- at Han. No, no. Okay, no,
1: she's not. So that's why I think that uh, it, that's why it doesn't feel like it's a problem for me uh it i mean they didn't need to make anybody anybody's twin anywhere like if we go to return of the jedi if they had to wrap it up i mean they never brought up a twin before at all
0: right i'm sure you guys were aware that lucas's plans were that the emperor would have his initial plans were the emperor was going to live this one then luke was going to go find his sister in the next trilogy it'd be about training her and then
1: together as brother and sister they defeat the emperor I heard was, rumors about what the sequel trilogy was supposed to be, but I thought that none of that had ever been corroborated. Well, I thought again, that Luke has always said that the, he never was doing them. The whole, whole history is really so, so fuzzy. Though. He's like, waffles, like, so who he's knows really where it is. Waffled on on what he was going to do because he would say, "Well, yeah, I'm going to do more sequels, I'm going to do prequels,"
3: and then I've heard lots of different things saying like, "Well, this is kind of how like the whole um, twelve part." Saga was was going to play out right, and that the, the emperor would have like a much larger storyline after six. I'd never heard anything about him finding the sister and training her. That's that's news to me. That's an interesting idea. But I mean, the the whole thing with with Leia being the sister, yeah, it makes the universe smaller. But again, it's just. You just accept it because of the fact that we have the the force in play. There's a lot of a lot to be said for people's destinies being intertwined with each other. That's sort of the magical nature of these movies. Now, if, if this was Star Trek and you pulled that shit, I mean, it would not it would not fly at all, mm-hmm. right? If you suddenly found out that Spock was Kirk's brother or something crazy like that, I mean, it just I mean, people would lose their minds. But I think it works well for a fantasy type movie even if it is not
1: necessarily the best choice but you know i think it works one thing that using the force as a story element one thing that allows you to do is play with with the idea of destiny and that's they they talk about it so does it make the universe a little bit smaller you know yeah i guess it does but at the same time i mean if it's it's on purpose. Like it's their, it's their destiny. And it's in the context of the Star Wars universe, destiny is an actual real thing. It's not like, you know, when we watch James Bond movie where destiny is just a word that people use for no reason, like Mm. in in Star Wars, it's actually a real thing. So I think that it's okay. And the other, you know, just to kind of go back to the, uh, the twin sister thing, I mean, before the return of the Jedi, If I'm not mistaken, they had never brought up the idea of a sister at all. So if they felt that they needed to tie that thread up, why did he bring it up at all in Return of the Jedi? He could just be like, well, I don't have time to introduce the twin sister character, so I'm just going to forget it. And we would be none the wiser for it, right? It would have just been Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think he already knew in Empire what the, like in A New Hope, no way. He didn't know what the relationships were at that point. But I think in Empire, he did have those relationships worked out.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, it's interesting either way, right? Because no one really knows except Lucas himself. And as you said, he's changed his mind. He's revealed different details to different yeah. people. So who knows what the truth is? It's like one of the bigger conspiracies this planet's ever seen, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, JFK, forget that. Leia! Leia, Leia yeah. See, this who is, is a- she? <laughs> who is she? So now let's get into Endor and now the infamous Ewoks. Did they drop the ball here by making these cute, cuddly little creatures defeat the Empire? Did the action scenes on Endor as they're trying to destroy the shield generator fall flat because they're there? Were they strengthened because they're there? Did you guys enjoy these characters? What did you even think of these action scenes outside of what was happening with Luke, Vader, and the Emperor?
3: You know, as a kid, I don't really think I gave it any thought. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we've got the primitive Care Bears taking on stormtroopers. And as a kid, I kind of liked it. Then I got older, hated it. And now it's sort of come back to... It's like, well, it maybe it doesn't work completely and it seems a little silly. I think, yeah, what we're looking at to is like the whole marketing uh, genius behind Lucas. And I think the, the thing that does... Kind of work for me is there's a nice through line to all three of these movies of nature versus technology because I think you the force as it's introduced it has a I mean we sort of talked about some religion and I I think there's also a bit of sort of nature worship to this idea then in Empire we meet Yoda who's a very you know living close to nature type of guy and then now we have the The Empire, which is a huge technological civilization, being unable to cope with, you know, these uh, these tree huggers. And I mean, it doesn't really I mean, it, it does play out kind of silly because the action sequences are not that exciting. You know, as a kid, I I loved it, but when you watch it through adult eyes, they're a little slow, a little clunky. It's hard. I mean, you've got all these little people in these bulky suits that are trying to go up against regular-sized people in bulky suits. So, I don't know. I, I kind of waffle. Again, I've seen the movie so many times, I just can sort of accept it. I think somebody new to the series would have a much harder time accepting this fact Mm -hmm. like i have no ability to (laughs) really separate the ewoks from this movie as ridiculous as it is i would think though that somebody new coming into the trilogy not seeing it before they would have a much harder time accepting the empire being defeated by ewoks Uh, it is a little silly and the action sequences yeah i don't know they're clunky a little slow but I don't know. It's such a hard thing to separate.
0: Yeah, I partially agree here. I mean, I think the Endor sequences in the third act are the weakest part. I mean, I like it when the Ewoks are introduced and they go to the village and, you know, they're all about to be eaten for brunch. (laughs) And uh, those are funny scenes. I mean. And the fact that they don't take 3PO seriously, even though they revere him as a deity. He's like, no, you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck you. We're still going to go ahead and eat these guys. Fuck you. (laughs) You don't know what you're talking about. He's a minor Uh, deity, I
3: guess, in their (laughs) (laughs)
0: pants. Yeah, I mean, those are funny scenes, and I like those scenes, but I agree with you. I think because they're cute and, you know, little furballs, the serious factor is dumbed down a tiny bit, but I think the Emperor scenes with vader and luke were so dark that i think lucas wanted to make these a bit more cutesy to inject the humor aspect here but in addition to the merchandising of the ewoks as well for little kids it's an obvious decision why he went that way for better or for worse do you guys think it would have better served that these guys were wookies as i think some it was rumored to be
1: i think he said as much though isn't it It, didn't he that he he did want it to be wookies but they couldn't do it so he just cut them in half and called them ewoks I have no I, idea if I, he admitted it or not. I have no clue. I believe that he has said as much. I believe that is the case. I believe that's true as well. Yeah. What was, Do you think it would have been better served if they were Wookiees? I mean, yes, it probably would have been better served if, if they were Wookiees because that would certainly give a lot more credibility to them winning the battle. I'm a little bit more forgiving of the sequence here, I think, than most people are. I know they're, they're small, but... And there's some, you know, like they were not, you know really winning this battle like everything they were trying at first wasn't wasn't working they were trying to bring down those walkers and that you know nothing was working and some of them were getting you know they get shot out of the air and um did you cry when the ewok was dead oh i I felt a twinge i i'll I'll admit it (laughs) nathan
3: yeah uh i feel a little bit of a twinge as a kid i i always hated seeing that scene
0: like i was always so sad when it happened right hey that's war man no, nobody's seen. It. <laughs> yeah.
1: What is it? What is it good for?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Even though I still get a chuckle, I mean, I always enjoy the Ewoks being dragged by the ATST. You know, yeah. like they're trying to trip it, but they're just getting oh, dragged. Yeah. Yeah. It's still so funny. I still find it funny. But I understand the argument that it dumbs down the battle a little bit when you're catering to what's supposed to be a serious scene. I just think that the movie would have been. I could just trying to picture put it myself a bit more critical putting the other shoes on and just seeing Lucas saying the emperor scenes with Luke are dark. The space battle is a bit more serious. I have to make this a bit more light so I don't lose yeah. the audience. They they don't have a sour taste in their mouth. It, it would have been more risky if he did the Wookiees, but I think that might've been the decision-making process here. You needed to inject some, some light into what was more of a serious situation. Uh, what do you guys think?
3: Well, I think, I think it like, would have worked a little better if, The action sequences were a little less clunky because you can kind of tell that they are having a hard time moving in those Ewok suits, right? And then the guys in the Stormtrooper suits, I mean, you can tell throughout the whole trilogy that they kind of have a hard time seeing through the masks and they don't move very well. Oh, no, but you're
0: forgetting it's a legion of his best troops down there. (laughs) Oh, my
3: God. What, I, okay, but in terms of stormtroopers, what they mean? <laughs> right? I mean? they are cannon fodder for the most part. Yeah, even though they like are like they're often talked about, like they're like even in in the in a New Hope, I mean, uh, stormtroopers are talked about like they're elite troops, anyways, who have um, uh, sharpshooter accuracy. But I think it could have been choreographed better and worked. And I because the size thing, I don't think is necessarily a big deal. To be honest, and the fact that they're cutesy looking, it's well, that's fine, I
0: guess. Actually, you know what didn't work for me here is I felt got lost. Is that you know, obviously, you have to pay more focus and more attention to the main characters like Han and Leia and 3PO and R2 Chewy, but there were other rebels that came along with them initially, and you hardly got to see them after that. So, hey, I what thi- were those guys doing? Yeah, I don't know. Were they even part of that last battle? I didn't see any of them. Did you? I didn't see. I didn't
3: see anyone uh, except maybe like one rebel uh, dying behind something while he's being shot at. I want to know when the rebels are captured, one of them is in like scout trooper armor. Where was that scene? So when Han and Leia are being led out of the bunker and there's all like all the Imperial troops, there's like a bunch of rebels like with their hands behind their head encircled. And there's one guy with he's got like a terrific like beard and mustache it's just very full and he's he's in the scout trooper armor and i assume that he's a rebel who who stole like some scout
0: trooper's armor are you sure maybe he's a uh, one of those clones that's left over all these years (laughs) since age poorly as a legion of my best troops i I can hardly lift my legs
3: (laughs) oh man who knows um no if you go back it's funny because i only ever noticed that until like Really
0: recently, it just amazes me. I think that's what was missing on the Endor scenes was just a greater grand scheme of land army versus land army. Yeah, I don't mind the Ewoks kind of coming in and creating that distraction and helping, but then I think a little bit more of the focus should have been on the rebels with Han and Leia leading the way versus all the imperial troops. The other thing I would like to see is. What do the Ewoks normally use those weapons for, like the catapult
3: and then the two logs that come together? What else is in that forest that they need that stuff
0: for? Well, we're going to need to do a podcast on uh, the Battle of Endor, or or what is it called? The two Ewok (laughs) movies. I think it's called the Battle
3: for Endor. Oh, the
0: Battle for Endor. Okay. The
3: first one? Is that what it's called? I'm not sure. Can't wait for (laughs) that. Let's do
0: that. We need to empower I made a vow never to watch them again, so I I don't
3: know. Oh, and then we'll do the Christmas special right after
0: that. Oh, God. <laughs> okay so we talked about these guys i mean the space battle was of course very good but i think the meat and potatoes here luke vader and the emperor we haven't really talked about him yet ian mcdermott playing the emperor awesome he made these
1: scenes work what do you guys think i thought he was terrific as well uh, very menacing i liked it better when he hadn't been added into the blu-ray release yes of empire strikes back that unfortunately I mean, it was kind of cool to see him but but yeah, he was fantastic. You're right. He sold he sold these scenes. You get the feeling of his power, even though he looks like a frail old man. But the way the way he talked, you knew that he was a he was a bad dude, and you didn't you didn't cross him. It's so funny because
0: actually, because I was watching a little bit of Return of the Jedi in preparation for this podcast. My 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 daughters came and sat beside me for a few seconds. And when the emperor came down to visit uh, his first entrance to the movie, when he's visiting the Death Star, they know Vader, of course, and they're they're pretty scared of Vader. But when they saw the emperor, they just, it's funny watching them. They just got so scared and they started backing away and ran away. So that image, I guess it's that classic image of going back to the Wizard of Oz. I mean, again, this is our generation's or this generation's Wizard of Oz tale is that Wicked Witch of the West or Wicked Witch of the East, whichever one you want to call it. He is that character and he's played so well.
3: Yeah. Yeah, He's so much more interesting here in this one movie than he is in the entire prequel uh, trilogy. I find Uh,
0: Yes and no. Um, I I think if we're going to, I don't want to delve into the prequels here, but I mean, if there was one strength of the, or one validating aspect of the prequels is I did enjoy Ian McDermott for the most part until the ham factor started going up in the last one, but uh oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, got a little too over the top. But for the most part, I enjoyed what he brought to the table there. But here, he was just absolutely amazing. How he's you know taunting Luke and trying to get goad him into you know striking him down, and and all those scenes uh with him and Vader and Luke. I don't know; they're probably up there in terms of what is best of the best of the trilogy. Do you guys agree? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, because I think when people think of Return of the Jedi, a lot of them think this or Jabba's Palace is really what is the defining moments of, of this movie. And yeah, it's just such a strong scene. I even love it when he's just cackling in the background, when Luke is getting more aggressive. He's, you know, saying good and he's just cackling, yeah. enjoying himself. Uh, it's so, such a great scene. And then well, let's get into the scene here. So then when Vader realizes that he has a daughter, Luke has a sister, and then Luke just loses it. I just love it when the music kicks in there. Luke is just hacking away at him, driving him back. Uh, such a great moment. Very powerful. As you mentioned, Nathan, you liked this lightsaber fight. I think I, as a whole, I like the lightsaber fight better at Empire. But this sequence here is just amazing. I love it when he cuts Vader down.
3: I certainly think the choreography and, and the fight in Empire is better. But I think the this has a more emotional weight to it. And I think that 50% of it is the music. Yes, that's fine.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I feel the same way. I think there's certainly the choreography was better in Empire Strikes Back during the lightsaber fight, but the emotional weight here is pretty heavy. You know, and I, I, I love it when he, you know, that point where he he's had it, he loses it, and he comes out. And I uh, maybe that, that begs the question: is he now flirting with the dark side? Because he's is he channeling his anger here, or is he just channeling emotion? I, it's good, very good question. I think here he's,
0: he's channeling anger because he realizes it after the fact. And mm-hmm. then he throws his lightsaber away in the, it mo- probably the most epic scene in the saga is when he spits in the emperor's face and says, you failed. I'm a yeah. Jedi. Like my father before me, uh, yeah. such a great line by Luke. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. This Go. whole thing is his
3: temptation. That was always my interpretation is that this is him being tempted by the dark side. his anger. Uh, just letting loose and then but then coming back from that edge and i think that his whole character arc is was moving to that moment Mm -hmm. into this final temptation and then him rejecting it
0: yeah because i mean just as yoda said and it's a you know common sense and self uh, self self-defense you know you don't use it for attack you use it for defense before he was except for that first strike against the emperor he was kind of just defending himself against vader but this was an attack he had enough and he went after him and that's the dark side yeah. Yeah. So what'd you think of that scene, that epic scene, and then what the emperor says and does to Luke after that? Nathan, give us your thoughts.
3: Well, the way it all plays out is really great uh, with Luke losing it. And then, you know, looking at, at, his, at his hand and then, it, you know, Vader's missing hand that he just cut off. Another thing that makes the emperor so interesting is like, okay. Now you kill him, and you will be my new apprentice, right? I mean, it's, I mean, it's so so dark and evil. In the way Luke comes back and throws away lifesaver. even though he's still in a pretty dangerous situation here, where he may need it. He's like, no, this is this is how this is what Jedi's do, right? And mm-hmm. um, and then the final scene with the Emperor. This is another thing that I love about 80 special effects is lightning effects. Uh it just I think it looks so cool. You know, mm-hmm. you see it in so many movies. Um, you know, plays really well in uh, you know, Big Trouble, in Little China and Ghostbusters, they use the same lightning effects. And uh, I, I love the look of it. Again, this is kind of a strange thing. And oh, we've already I guess we already talked about it quite a bit earlier about like was this the final plan for for Luke and Vader? Because now, of course, Vader kills the emperor. Which you is know, a powerful
0: well, moment on itself. It, it should, is. You I mean, shouldn't just skip really it. That's...
3: Lessened, it's really lessened in the Blu-ray with the stupid no again. But yeah, I've always loved that
0: scene, right, where he just picks them up and tosses them. Mm-hmm. But you get that look. That's... He's going back and forth. Look, he's really thinking, struggling, yeah. and then he makes that decision. I I love that because it shows how. Corrupt he became, and he can't let go of that hate. And then he finally did, and I love that. And then you know, again, yeah. that's going back to the title of the movie: the J- he returned as well, Anakin. So, Return of the Jedi. All right. Right? So, yeah. So then the movie ends. You know, Darth Vader dies, but you know he takes off the helmet and stuff like that, and they have their their fond moment. And then uh every, everything is hunky dory. They party. They party hard on uh, Endor there. I love the shot with uh, the funeral pyre another yeah, epic great. shot there with uh, Luke uh, looks back to the funeral pyre there. And you see Vader's uh, body being melted away and destroyed. Uh, but his father did return in spirit. And uh, so what do you think of all these scenes at the end? Did it wrap up a little too happy? I was I, another question I have is, do you think another main character should have died, which is what Harrison Ford wanted? I think there are different reasons in what he's saying. I think he had enough of Han Solo and just wanted the character to go away instead of him officially saying it. we needed some more resonance and stakes at play here. What do you think of that? Do you think Han should have died or are you glad that he lived? And do you think Harrison Ford was right? Do you think a character should have died?
1: I don't know what purpose that would have served to kill off another main character. You know, actors love to have great death scenes, so I can understand from... Harrison Ford's perspective you know ha- you know wanting something a little bit meatier to do in this film and uh, you know a good death scene for Han Solo would have given him that but I don't think it, I don't think the story was missing that tr- type of tragedy at this point I think the I think if anything that might have undercut the tragedy of what had happened with Anakin Skywalker with Darth Vader I mean that that's the tragedy here is he came know, back he, but died yeah he came back and dies so I mean it's a uh, you know, it's good, but it's it still has that that tragic ending to it still in a way, right? So I mm-hmm. don't think that the story needed anything else on top of that to to you know kick us in the stomach with. And it's supposed to be a happy ending, like this saga, this type of movie. uh, And looking at the trilogy overall, it's got to have a happy ending. You know, yeah. it has to. And killing off one of the main characters, I don't think I think that would have undercut that, right? It would have been too much sorrow underneath it. Yeah, I tend to agree.
3: And I think with, with uh, like, in terms of Harrison Four, I mean, partly it's like, oh, man, I just, I really want out of this contract. So, you know, if they can just kill me off, I'm done with the character. But the other thing, yeah, it doesn't serve any purpose to eliminate him or any other main character because it's not their story. So why should we be feeling, I mean, I know they're in this story and they have their own stories, but what is, what serves the purpose of this Skywalker family saga by eliminating a side character that we all enjoy, and yeah, adding this element of sorrow, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to to do that. You know, <clears throat> I mean, they may end up doing that uh, for *Force Awakens*. Who knows? But um, yeah, I I think it would have been entirely pointless to to do it. Yeah, I mean, and, and more more self serving on on an actor's part more than anything.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think after, I mean what happened between Empire and Return of the Jedi off screen, Harrison Ford became uh, Indiana Jones. Raiders was filmed and then he went from being the main star to being the B storyline here. So I think there was a bit of an ego here at play. I think this is the starting point in his all of his interviews. He, he was pretty positive up to this point. And once Return of the Jedi came around, I, I just saw a 180. If you go back and read a lot of interviews or see old... Interviews and YouTube, all a lot of bad-mouthing comes after after Empire Strikes Back, and I think that's oh, okay. part of it, too. Well, when did he do Blade Runner? Is that after Jedi? I have no idea. Yeah. But I, I know Raiders. Was 84,
3: 84, I think, is Blade Runner. Oh, okay. So a year, year later. But he would have yeah. been probably – he probably agreed to do that probably like about 82, 83, I, I would guess. Yeah. yeah.
0: So but, I, I think during the press of this movie and during the filming of this movie, I think he just said, you know what? I got other crap to do. I'm more important than this than, than this and fuck Han Solo. And I think he's held on to that belief until until now. So I think there's some basis there. Well, it's not really a big point to talk about, but that's just my thoughts. Quick. Let's just quickly have a quick chat because we let we did it with the other movies uh, score cinematography sets. Do you guys think that this movie measured up to Star Wars and Empire or do you think it took a little bit of a uh, back turn started to get a little bit worse, and a little more lazy? What do you guys think?
1: Hmm. Tough call. It's not as good looking a film as the previous two. There's there's a weird sheen on everything. Uh, I, it's like it's not lit properly. Mm-hmm. You know. The, I think the sets still look great. But the score again is still fantastic. It's not as good as the other two, but it's like a nine out of ten, and the other two are like ten out of ten. You know. Yeah. So it's still it's still a great score. But yeah, the the look of it, it just it doesn't quite pop visually in a lot of places
0: well i also think that there's a lot of darker scenes here java's palace is darker the emperor's throne room is darker so i think there's a lot of time spent in these darker places i mean i think sail barge scenes pop pretty good that's just me yeah it, the, the lit it's outdoors.
1: Not, it's hard to explain it's not exactly what i mean i mean yeah the, those yeah they look good there's just some there's a strange look to some of this movie in it and it's hard to put my finger on but it it doesn't it, uh, it, to me it actually starts looking like oh yeah this was
3: filmed in the 80s where the other ones have yeah. a, a little more timeless feel to them we also don't get a lot of variation we, the way we did in the other movies because we've already been to tatooine already been tatooine on the Star, yeah yeah exactly so i mean there's nothing really new and then uh indoor it's not terribly i mean it's, it's neat i guess but it's not interesting the way say hoth was interesting or degba right mm. the score i mean i like the introduction of i don't know exactly the name of the theme i guess it would be the sith theme like for the emperor mm-hmm. uh, i like the introduction of that that score but i don't really think we add anything new i guess we have the ewok theme but uh yeah it's just maybe not as strong as the other two
0: i agree i mean i think for the as you said jeff it's a, it's still score still nine out of ten the other ones are 10 out of 10 Emperor's theme, the Java's Palace, that uh, their theme, the Rancor scene, Sail Barge, Luke and Vader fighting when that score kicks in. Those are the highlight tracks for me. I think the rest of the tracks are a little bit more repetitive, but it's still a very good score. You also get, I think, the uh, introduction, the brand new theme here as well, uh, the brother sister theme, mm. which is still a very good theme as well. That's that's a, a, also a nice theme. Yeah, the Ewok theme is uh while well, fun and light, could do without it, but it's okay. We had Richard Marquand directing this. I don't know who the who, who the cinematographer is here, but I heard a lot that George was ghost directing behind the scenes here. Do you think that this matched up to the other two, or do you think it was a step back and we we're just trying to rush this thing to a close? Well, I think it's serviceable
3: as far as cinematography goes. I mean, I think there's probably more effort put into uh space battle. Remember, too, I mean, a lot of this movie takes place outdoors. That's a... Uh, you know, like the, yeah, I think in the early '80s, that's not that's they use as much natural lighting as as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the cinematography in the Emperor's throne room—it's I mean, all dark. It's kind of hard. I kind of find it hard to tell if that's intentional or they're just like, oh shit, we gotta light it, make it dark,
1: make it dark. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree as well. It, it doesn't quite measure up, I don't think, to the the previous two. The space battle is. Is an exception. I mean, it looks fantastic. I oh, love especially the, that first shot when the TIE fighters just swarm yeah. the Millennium
0: Falcon. That's just yeah. so good.
1: Great shot. Yeah, and there's a lot of really great moments in the space battle. There, uh, there's a lot of tension as they're approaching the Death Star, and it's like everything's just a little too quiet, you know. And they and then they realize that it's a trap, and oh, that's great. I love when the Super Star Destroyer crashes into the surface of the Death Star. That, that that was uh, actually that's the one shot I never liked. Is it, it looks. It, it looked, kinda looks kind of phony, maybe, but yeah,
0: it's just a little too simple. Very too stationary. Even though I guess in in space, if it was real, it would move that slow and wouldn't really blow apart so much. But it was just I don't know. It if it, it didn't look like it fit in the universe, there.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah. just felt it was a bit more rushed. That's why I kind of wanted to bring some of this stuff up. If, how about some final thoughts on uh, Return of the Jedi here? How does it stand to the rest of the other two movies that came before it? Does it wrap up the, the trilogy well, and does it stand the test of time? Nathan, you go first. I think it stands the test of
3: time. I mean, if we want to rank them, I mean, this would be the, you know, number three for me. But, I mean, it's just by a tight margin. And I think it's it's a nice cap to the, the story. I mean, sure, it's a happy ending, but... I got no qualms with that. The other thing, though, too, is that uh, it also wraps up everyone's storyline neatly, even though the movie is mostly about Luke and his journey. I think everyone
1: else's stories uh, have a nice tidy bow on the end. I definitely think it stands the test of time. I think it holds up really well. I don't get the feeling too much that it that you're getting that it was uh, rushed conclusions to some... To I mean, There are some parts, I think, non-important parts that that do feel a little rushed, but I think the important threads are dealt with properly the conclusion to Luke's journey and Anakin's journey as well I think is beautifully handled here I think that that's one of the highlights of the trilogy is the you know the final battle there I think the space battle's great again the you know the barge scene at the beginning we've talked about drags a little bit in places there you know that's and I think this is the the only one of the three to really have trouble with some of its pacing in the in the center of the movie but overall I think it's a great cap to it I, I think you know, we see movie series and you know there's other trilogies out there and there's TV shows. And one of the hardest things to do, and it's and it's uh dropped so often is the ending, feeling that it's you know, emotionally satisfying and you know gives us what you know what we need out of the storyline. And Return of the Jedi does not fail us in giving us the you know the emotional relevant proper ending to the trilogy. It holds up its end of the bargain.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I for the most part agree. I'm not trying to say that the movie is just a rushed, messed up conclusion. It's still very strong, It wraps everything up nicely. And the strengths of the A storyline, like the Luke and, and Vader angle, the father son dynamic is so strong. But there, as you said, there, I think there's still some pacing issues in the middle when they are on Endor until Luke leaves even though I like the speeder bike chase I just think there's a lot of a little too much downtime I think the land battle is a bit weak again we talked about other rebels are I think there was a missed opportunity there but overall it wraps everything up very nicely it's still a very very strong movie do you guys want to just go to a recommend now so Jeff do you recommend Return of the Jedi and how does it rank in comparison
1: to the other two? Yeah, I think finally, I think uh, legendary director Richard Marcon pulled the trilogy out of the fire, and I'll <laughs> recommend this one. Okay, uh, how does it stand God. together? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I mean, I've always had my rankings over the years, and they've kind of changed places over the years for me. Having watched them last week in preparation for the podcast, honestly, it's a tie for first place, a three-way tie for first. And I know that's a cop-out, but ah, uh, the hell with it. I'm going with it. Nathan? Yeah, I highly recommend this. And, yeah, when I, when I ranked them, I go,
3: like, Empire Star Star Wars, Jedi, but, you know, you're talking about yeah photo finish for all of them, so.
0: Yeah, for the most part, I, I agree. I, I can't say it's a tie. I think its drawbacks still rank it lower, but albeit slightly lower than the other two. Uh, for me, in terms of my favorites, Empire of Star Wars and then this one, still a recommend. It's still a rare antiquity in terms of saying how do you wrap up and conclude a story? And it had such a strong A storyline that it's just so amazing how uh, you don't see a lot of that happen in these days. And it's still a technical marvel to look at. It's still a beautiful watch and it's influence on pop culture. So that wraps up the the movies themselves. I just wanted to ask you guys now, in terms of the pop culture today, obviously the influence of this trilogy is there and it's going to transcend generations to generation. Do you guys want to talk or just like give me your thoughts on how it has impacted pop culture and Jeff, I also, we talked about it briefly last time on the last podcast, you felt that aside from the high level good versus evil concept here, there wasn't really a lot of social commentary that George added here. Do you, if you, in preparation for this podcast, do you still feel that way or, uh, and Nathan, I'd like to get your input here as well. You guys go ahead. Jeff, you can start first.
1: Yeah, I, d- I don't find a lot of relevant social commentary here. I mean, this is a... Uh largely a good versus evil storyline. I mean, there are, there are other storylines that, that are fairly timeless. I mean, mostly it's about Luke Skywalker's journey. So it's, it's kind of, it's a character story about Luke. And then, you know, like the Galactic Civil War is the, is the backdrop to, uh, uh, to Luke's spiritual journey, which is what this movie is about. So I don't think there's anything else from a political or social standpoint that's, that's kind of there. And I think that to the movie's credit, that helps age it. It's always going to be relevant because of that. As far as its influence on pop culture, I mean, shit. Where do you want to start Then where do you want to end? I mean, every person who's making films today is doing so. Like ninety percent of them are doing so because of Star Wars. So, you know, sometimes it's just little bits in movies, and sometimes it's it's you know it's huge. So, ah, man, I, I don't know. I don't know where you can even start with the influence. I mean, it's it's so woven into everything now, from the music to lightsabers to the Death Star. I mean, there's things here that if you'd never seen, if, even if you hadn't seen Star Wars, and i uh, You would know I'm what that surprised. is. Yeah. You'd know what those things are, you know? So- I mean, everybody knows who Darth Vader is. Yeah, everybody knows who Darth Vader is. And there's certain things that permeate culture absent of the, of the films themselves. And that's, that's pretty impressive because there aren't very many examples of that. There aren't really any other examples of that on this larger scale.
0: No, and I agree. Uh, this franchise is think thing of its own. Especially when it uh, comes to the original trilogy. Well, as far as like
3: political messages, uh, yeah, I agree with Jeff that it's really a story of good versus evil. I have heard people talk about, oh, it's a uh, analogy for the war in Vietnam. You know, that's years later, and then then Lucas kind of picked up that thread, like, oh yeah, yeah, that's no, that's what I was going for, you know. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and as far as its influence on Paul culture i mean oh man like a couple of weeks ago or, or like a month maybe two months ago i watched masters of the universe you know the he-man movie in the 80s <laughs> and it's, it's strange it's a he-man movie but it's actually a complete rip-off of star wars i mean they use a bunch of the special facts and everyone's dressed like darth vader there's like a whole scene it's like the bounty hunter scene from empire it's ridiculous and i don't know if you guys have seen jupiter ascending no, but that no movie, thank god Oh, oh, man, ad movie. Oh, it's terrible. It is di- directly influenced by Star Wars. It looks great, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And, and tons of movies, and also this is a movie that is so popular around the world. It's probably uh, one of the few movies that, you know, you can translate it into another language, and it just still works, mm-hmm. right? Whereas some other movies even though they're they may be popular overseas even when they're translated i mean i'm sure there's tons of pop culture references in those movies themselves that don't necessarily translate well right so i mean this is a this is a movie that that is popular across many cultures just because of its very basic nature
0: no i agree with pop culture there's not really much i can add i think you guys are a bit too i wouldn't say harsh is not the right word i'm surprised that you guys don't feel that Lucas has anything to talk about here in terms of relevance to politics or social commentary here, because the the Vietnam War and those protests were his 9-11. Even though the movie was written and made after that time, I have a hard time believing that there's no elements of that in play. I mean, he himself said that Nixon was the emperor in his movies and he I went back and tried to find that quote and he made that quote in 1981 so it wasn't like it was years after the original trilogy was releasing. saying oh yeah I meant to do that I mean he even did that before Return of the Jedi came out I think that at the time there's a lot of disapproval of the U.S. government and there are so many protests of what was going on at the Vietnam War I thought there's there was no coincidence that Lucas would want to tell a story of these rebels overthrowing a dictatorship at the time. I mean, you're dealing with a superior military force invading a land. You're dealing with the Nixon Watergate scandal about a guy who wanted to overthrow the rules and make a third term for himself. So it's kind of like... These concepts here were interwoven with his story about who the emperor was, who the empire was. Um, And, you know, you also get into the next level. And this is where the Ewoks come in. It's like they're obviously primitive race. They have no basis here of overthrowing the empire. But was Lucas trying to say, hey, you know, U.S. military invaded a land. We didn't win that war. These primitive natives who are not superior in terms of military forces beat us. You also go into the, you know, technology versus nature. Luke didn't use technology to destroy the Death Star. He used faith. So, And the empire didn't tolerate any ethnic or gender diversity. So these were some social movements that were happening in the 60s. And I think Lucas here was making a comment on who the empire was. Was he making a comment on, on the U.S. government and current political issues at the time? It's a stretch, but I think it's there. There's some layers there that... I'm actually surprised that you guys are disagreeing with that. Well, God damn
1: it. Know. Not everything's about Vietnam, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, well, no, it isn't. But it, but I'm just saying that's his 9-11. It stayed with him. I, I'm not saying he's not influenced by what's going on, but I don't think there's any commentary here on the Vietnam War. I mean, the Vietnam War was uh, it was a proxy war. This is a civil war. Like It's a very different type of conflict. So I don't see a lot of parallels there. What you're saying about Nixon and the emperor, I, and now that you've mentioned that, I I do recall having heard that so i could see some of those elements there but i think it's it's so far removed from those events and without like some more i just don't think it's there i just i just don't i don't see it i, I don't think that's that's not what these movies are about i don't enough. think it's i don't think that's the focus of these movies
0: i'm just saying those layers are there he's trying to add those relevant layers as part of his movie that's all
1: i'm saying no he may have been trying to but i don't i don't think he succeeded if he was indeed trying to I any writer is going to be influenced by, you know, current events
3: at any given time. But, I mean, I I guess sometimes I know I feel I don't give Lucas a whole lot of credit when he talks about that sort of stuff because I'm not always convinced that it's not someone suggesting it to him. And then he just says, oh, yeah, that's what I was going for. I remember there was a ton of this stuff going on, the political climate in the U.S. at the time with Bush and Cheney and going to war right after 9-11, you know, because those that's when the prequels came out, like all around that era that was very, very heated politically. And people said, oh, look at all these analogies between uh, prequels and what's going on with the U.S. and Afghanistan, Iraq, and Lucas was like, yeah, no, that's what I was going for.
0: I think it's different. I th- I agree with you. I think Lucas didn't really explain himself, and he just kind of, he took credit of one shot of the, again, we're getting in the prequel territory here, of the Jedi Temple kind of burning in the foreground oh, yeah. there, and that's his 9-11 shot, his allegory to 9-11, and that's pretty much as close as he got to commenting on that. What I think that's in the Star Wars original trilogy, I think there's, there's more depth, there's more layers there where I can see it. If you guys don't see it, that's fine. I think that's something that fans... Do like to talk about? I agree that that's not the focus. His focus is on. uh... It's not
3: wrong. It's not wrong. It's just you know. I mean, I guess you can just argue over where the source of it is. But I mean, I mean, no writer can't not be influenced by
0: the world around them,
3: right? So uh, of course that'll seep into into work.
0: Yeah. And then the reason why I wanted to kind of bring that up is like for my final thoughts, we can get into it here for the original trilogy is I personally feel that Lucas, you can say he lost his way as a businessman because he obviously did as he created his own empire, the Lucasfilm empire. But before before all that, he was just a brilliant filmmaker. And he was brilliant. He tapped into all the existing, pre-existing myths, politics, religion, humanity to create the modern fairy tale. And I don't think anybody has done that as effective since. I truly think he's a genius and I think the original trilogy will stand the test of time. It is for everybody, every age group. And it's the trifecta. It is the trilogy to base any trilogy off of.
3: Well, the callback to uh, chasing Amy, that guy called it the holy trilogy. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's really become
1: that. I agree. It's a shame because, you know, George was most certainly a visionary director. He was a genius of a filmmaker. So whatever happened after that, I don't know. It's a shame because if there was more in that mind that we could know now, would I mean, you know, wouldn't wouldn't that be a great place to live in? But you know, unfortunately, it a lot of it ends here. But that's okay because we get what we get here. You know, huh. you also got Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, and so. uh, you know, <laughs> and, and around the same time where he's yeah. still where he's still at the height of his powers. Yeah you know he just became the emperor
0: he did Yeah, he, did become the he emperor. became the emperor um it's funny he became what he always fought against the studio system and he became one of those people
1: well that he always his, hated yeah to his credit though he still like a lot of those innovations though and where he he started to turn to in, in his business dealings those are things that are felt still throughout hollywood like you know, ILM still does lots of special effects. Everybody does their post production at Skywalker Ranch. So there are other things that he created that still permeate past because of Star Wars that he got into. So yeah, I mean, he lost his way creatively a little bit. You know, probably thinking too much as a as a businessman. But he did innovate in a lot of other areas too, because he was interested in you know the technical innovation of filmmaking as well. They, they pioneered a lot of techniques. Mm -hmm. in the original trilogy yeah and that became his focus and then we can get into that next week so yeah there's more yeah Yeah. there's more for next week
0: yeah Uh, do you guys want to add any other thoughts to the star wars original trilogy or you think we're done here covered it
1: (sighs) i don't know that i have anything else we could talk for hours honestly
0: we can't do justice i mean because we all love these movies i mean maybe the conversation is not as interesting because we're all gushing over most of the stuff presented here. I think more of the interesting conversation will happen next week. So, Jeff, uh, first of all, Jeff, Nathan, do you have anything else to add, or? Well, the only thing I want to add, but actually, I'll want to talk about it more next
3: uh, next time. Is I watched these movies in the machete order, and if anyone doesn't know what that is, it, you watch it in a four, five, two, three. And I'll talk more about that next time because I think it's more relevant to the prequels. But it's a very interesting way to to watch these movies. It gives a bit of a different perspective.
0: But always thinking is should that be the way I show my kids?
3: No, <laughs> no. later on, but not not a first time showing.
0: Okay, so Jeff, do you want to? It's quite obvious. We've already kind of hinted at it. So what are
1: we doing next? Yeah, as we've alluded to, we will dig into the prequel trilogy. I'm sure that it's going to be a very different type of conversation next week. (laughs) So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Epic throwdown. Yeah, it'll be an epic throwdown for sure. Yeah, it's going to be good.
0: Okay, guys. Well, I appreciate it. That wraps things up for today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Nathan, very much. And thank you, Andrew, you son of a bitch for leaving us early, but uh, we thank you nevertheless. Until next time, guys. All right. We'll
2: see you next
3: time. The Force will be with you. Always. <laughs>